Welcome to Codex Rex, the video game history podcast. I'm Tyler. And I am Dux. And this is a video game history podcast where one of us tells the other a story about video game history or culture that is perhaps relevant to the gaming industry in some way or another. And uh, we're, I have a pretty good episode for you today, I think. Do you think you have a pretty good episode for me? Yeah. Is it well, is it about a vi- like a video game or is it about a concept of video game history? So, well, I think you and I have been pretty open about this could be about anything, right? So it could be just something that's relevant to video game culture. But this is definitely about a video game or several. Uh, to give you all context on this particular episode, I've been working on this episode for a couple of months, actually. Yeah, you did. You've been talking about it for a long time. Well, so as you'll see when we get into it, I decided, oh, you know what? I'm gonna, I want to do an episode about that particular game. I think that would be a really cool mm-hmm. game to do an episode about. And then as I started working on it, it expanded outward so much that it became like its own thing. And so <laughs> you'll see. <laughs> my, notes are, my, my notes are so long. I found so. it funny how your way of talking about this episode evolved because first you like hyped it up. Like I, I, I think I, got, I found this gold mine, dude. This is going to uh-huh. be the best episode. But I noticed that the closer <laughs> we got to actually recording it, you were like, yeah, hmm, I've been doing this for like too, far too much time. <laughs> Maybe I just wasted a whole lot of my life. I don't know. Don't expect yeah. too much. <laughs> you started to become really careful because maybe it's bullshit. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't want to be like, oh, I worked on this for two months and then it's like, oh, and it's it hy- was shit. It's <laughs> hyper crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what have you been up to lately, Docs? What's up with you? Uh, I've been on vacation for the last two weeks in Northern Germany. Northern Germany is a lot like, I was told, it's a lot like the West Coast in Oregon. Uh, cold and windy and rainy. Um, and uh, we've been sitting in the house, sometimes going outside watching cows, which was fine. And I kept I, for the whole two weeks, I didn't do any exercise, and I was afraid that I got out of shape. And if I, I if I, I today I was the first time I go, I, I went running again, and I mm-hmm. went running, and it went totally fine. I had an easy, nice run, so my body did not reset to chubby, slow ducks. <laughs> I saw your pictures from that trip and it looked really fun. I'm it's glad really you nice, got yeah. to do that, man. Yeah. So I'm not super interesting. I'm just getting settled into my new place. I have become completely obsessed with painting Warhammer miniatures lately, yeah. but I try to temper that. I've been like integrating it into the stream and that's like when I'll do most of that because otherwise it's easy to be like, Oh yes, I'll take three hours and paint all the guns on these space skeletons instead of like <laughs> using that three hours to write my dissertation. So yeah, I think it's easy to make this stuff. But speaking of streaming, um, if one would want to reach one of us, one could reach you by going onto your Twitch channel, which Correct. is this time I'm going to say it right. It's www.twitch.com slash vegan Tyler. And one can reach me by also going to my Twitch channel, which is ducks. D-A-C-H-Z. Which I don't I, I don't frequent that much, but if you really want to talk to me, you could also go to Tyler's Discord channel. Yes. Um, and that's where we hang out a lot and just like to talk to people. Yep. If you ever want to talk about the podcast or life or just hang out with us, that's probably the easiest way to do it is to pop by the Discord. And, um, you know, we're in there a lot. Cool. Well, so do we want to get started? 
Yeah, let's get started. Nice, okay. let's do this. Our story begins sometime in the early 1990s. Two guys, Alexander Peter Rigopoulos. I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name. R-I-G-O-P-U-L-O-S. Rigopoulos? Rigopoulos. Regardless, we'll just call him Alex, the whole story. Yeah, that's better. And uh, Aaron Egozi. Now... Aaron's name, Aaron is from Israel, and we'll talk about this in a moment. It's spelled E-R-A-N, and I couldn't find a pronunciation of it, What? so I'm, I'm just going to call him Aaron. If that is incorrect, I apologize. So, Alex and Aaron, okay? Since you're American, everybody expects you to pronounce everything incorrectly, so don't worry. <laughs> you know, side note, <laughs> I showed someone one of my lectures one time, and when they heard my French pronunciation of certain legal terms, <laughs> they were aghast. They were like, oh my god, that is so unbelievably wrong. <laughs> so, but yes. So, uh, Alex had a background in computer science and music, okay? And he, de he decided to go to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. MIT. He was also, and this is relevant, a drummer in a band on the side. Nice. Okay? So Aaron was originally a native of Israel, but ended up moving to Massachusetts at the age of 12. He also had a long background in music and uh, performed with a bunch of orchestras in Boston. Now, I couldn't find a ton of info on this, but I know leading up to his time at MIT, he was involved with a bunch of orchestras. And uh, I think afterward he did some too, but the, the details there are a little shaky. But regardless, he was pretty accomplished on the clarinet by so, the time he made so it to MIT. Alex played the drums and he played the clarinet. So he the so Aaron played in like like classical orchestras. Correct. Okay. So Aaron, yeah, Aaron played in more classical orchestras, and Alex was more of like in an actual band. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> the two of them end up, um, they both end up at MIT at the same time, and they meet in the MIT Media Lab, and they both were pursuing degrees in computer science at the time. Cool. And so they were both at this like computer music group thing, and they were like office mates in this music group thing, whatever it was. And so they're both studying music, they're studying computer tech, they're really into gaming, and so, you know, you're in the office with somebody, you end up talking to them, and they end up hanging out. And Alex said that they thought that there was an overlap between their skills. And he has a quote here. There's so much overlap between scientists and musicians. Whether you're studying, studying math or music, there are deep hierarchies and resonances and balances at work. That's absolutely right. Uh, a good friend of ours, Quad Laser, he once described that, that... Um, if you're a good musician, it often looks like it's 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 easy and fluent, but what actually professional music is, is that it is a very strict science that follows very clear and strict hierarchies that yes. can be and must be explained mathematically. And um, 
that makes the overlap to computer science, which also is based on mathematics, very, very clear. So it's really good that you bring that up because that is going to be something that is relevant to this episode. Okay. So, okay. So they both see something, they, they, they get to talking and they see that they believe that there's a problem in the world. Okay. That making music was this really great and really fulfilling experience, yeah. but most people end up giving up on it because it's very difficult to do to like learn an instrument. It's very tedious. So, yeah. Right. And so, so only a very small amount of people in the world to go on to become some kind of a skilled musician just because of the difficulty. So I have a quote from him. It's actually, I pulled it from way later in the story, but I thought it was relevant here in the beginning. Mm -hmm. He says, Alex says, playing music is one of the most blissful feelings that life has to offer, but it's too fucking hard to learn how. Almost everyone quits after six months. Yeah, or you, like you, some, I, I play the guitar and I have these phases where I get into playing the guitar and it, it takes a lot of work to learn a single piece of music and get really good with it. And you you get skilled and sometimes you, you hit like, you hit a curb and, and you can't improve and you don't know why. And it's so difficult to improve skills on something where it is so difficult to find resources or trainers or to be better at. And it feels like it's a mountain on top of you and you can't climb it. And then your life gets too much and you stop and you lose that skill again. That's so frustrating. So Docs would never say this, but I love Docs's guitar playing. Uh, fun fact about the two of us. One time Docs and I had a bet about who could beat the other one at Smash Brothers. And when I beat him, my choice in the bet was that he write me a song. That and did. so he, yeah. he wrote me a song about the point of view of a vegetable being cut up in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, because he's a filthy vegan and he, he slaughtered that poor vegetable and ate it. See, that's the thing people don't know about vegans. It's not that we love animals. It's that we just hate Despise. vegetables. Spice disgusting plants they must suffer <laughs> yeah so <laughs> alex and aaron become good friends and they decide you know what we're both finishing at mit let's make a company and yeah. let's make a company that makes products that appeal to people that involve music but don't know how to play music and they called themselves harmonics music systems We'll refer to this as harmonics for the rest of the time. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So here's a quote. Uh, we created this company to try and invent new ways to give music-loving non-musicians, the millions of passionate air guitarists in the world, a chance to play music. I see where this is going. This is this is playing music without having instrumental skill, which sounds a lot like all of these music games that exist, and it especially sounds like one game, which sounds like, shall I say it? If I have you a... You can say it, yeah. Guitar Hero. We are absolutely doing an episode on Guitar Hero. Ooh, nice. I only played Guitar Hero once in my life, but we will see how this turns out. Go on. Oh, man, I played so much Guitar Hero. You'll know soon <laughs> enough. <laughs> I have so many stories here. So, okay, so... But this is long before Guitar Hero. So it's 1995 mm -hmm. at this point, and they start making stuff. But they claimed that they weren't really interested in making video games back then. Yeah. They were more interested in ways that they could make people, uh, to help people make music. So they make a PC program called The Axe. Okay. Nice. Like, 
like, you know, you refer to a guitar as your axe, right? It was called the axe is the most cringy 90s term possible. They were totally stoned when they thought of that. They were sitting on a couch <laughs> playing their guitars. No, he was like, Aaron was playing his clarinet, of course, while, of course. while he was also <laughs> using it as a bong. And <laughs> Alex, <laughs> Alex was playing the drums super fast, super noisy, and his neighbors were already knocking on the door. And he was like, yes, yeah, sick beat, man, let's keep going. And one of them, dude, what if we like, if we made like a, a company and it was called the 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 axolotl and he's he said the longer term a bit but the other one misunderstood and he said yeah the x and they pass me the clarinet bond bro (laughs) 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 that's how that happens that's exactly how that happened yeah Yeah. i'm glad that you know i'm glad that you got a sneak peek at my script so so how did the axe work so what it did is it let you play instruments on your PC with a joystick. So imagine if you took one of the joysticks you would use for a flight simulator, and as you moved it around, you could make different instruments play. You could make them get louder or softer. <clears throat> and I highly recommend going back and watching the promotional video that they did for the Axe. It is like the most 90s video ever. Everyone in the video sounds like they are reading off of a script or like a cardboard cut, you know, thing that's in front of them. Uh, There are these children who are in it who are just like, I love the axe. It is the most fun thing ever. I like making music with the axe. This product has significantly improved my life by (laughs) seven amounts. (laughs) Seven amounts? (laughs) Yes, by seven amounts. So uh, regardless, it didn't sell well. So I saw one stat that set, guessed that they sold maybe 300 copies total. Like they took it to these trade shows, but I guess people really liked the idea, but they got bored of it very quickly. And again, it really wasn't a game. It was just kind of software that let you like play instruments. So it doesn't sell well. And they decide that they're going to move on. You know, they had their first thing out of the gate. And so I, I couldn't find information on this, but apparently... They were involved with some kind of like, they worked with Disneyland for a little while doing some kind of like consulting or like tech work on like their, not their animatronics, but for some like music related thing, I couldn't find anything on it, but it was some short stint, like right after they made the axe. So, so 1997 hits and something changes in the music industry. So suddenly music gaming becomes a thing. So games that used rhythm um, and and music started hitting the market. Uh, around this time, Parappa the Rapper came out on PS1. Oh, Did oh, you yeah. play that game? I know that game, never played it, but I, I so, heard of the concept. I would love to do an episode sometime on Parappa the Rapper. I had the demo disc for Parappa the Rapper, and then I became obsessed with it. So, mm-hmm. um, But Parappa the Rapper comes out. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of a big deal at the time. And then other games came out, like Dance Dance Revolution, Mm -hmm. and these games become a huge hit in Japan. So they start thinking, you know, like, maybe we should make video games. Maybe this whole software approach that we're taking isn't, like, the right one. Maybe we should try and focus on video games. And so these kind of games, they did did come to the U.S., but they weren't particularly big in the U.S. to start. And so what they were doing is they're like tracking down all of these games, these rhythm games from Japan and importing them and then playing them. 
And they claim when they looked at Parappa the Rapper, that's when they realized something. They said that video games would be the best medium for them to achieve their vision of making music creation accessible, right? So if you make it a game, people are more likely to play it, and then you can get people to make music. Yeah, because people kind of get into contact with making music. And if you just make... if you just make a software that is kind of like an instrument itself, you kind of um, get confronted by the same problems as you would by being having to learn an instrument. Because now I have to learn the software, and it's also just <laughs> like another instrument. So I, I I have no clue, and after six months I stop again. But right. um, these music games, they do something else. They give you finished music, and you you kind of learn to dance along it. Like in Dance Dance Revolution, you literally dance along it. But in Guitar Hero, you would teach your fingers how to dance along the already existing music, which you didn't have to actually learn. So what I think is like, okay, so let's imagine their first game. What do you really learn by using a joystick to make music? Like you get no skills out of that, that are transferable other than you can move a joystick around which most people who own a joystick could probably already do. And if you have no musical training, it still sounds like shit. Exactly. Exactly. So they start working on their next game. I guess their first real game. And it's called Frequency. And they start working on Frequency in 1999. And so what they do is they bring on a team of musicians and artists and uh, to help them make this game. Of note, this is when they first meet this guy, Greg Lopiccolo who becomes their project leader. The reason I bring him up is because he'll show up in other places later. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of wanted to point out that this is the first time they met Greg. Greg had been in a band and had worked on a few games before, including doing some composing and sound design for the game System Shock. Ooh, nice. I love System Shock. And the music for System Shock is good. Yep. So this is the guy who worked on System Shock. I don't think he did all of the music, but he he did a bunch of it. Nice. Best, Best part of System Shock elevator music after slaughtering a bunch of cyborgs (laughs) well you know that that's probably a stylistic choice right like to give you that um like that breakup between the action it's also the grooviest computer game music i've ever encountered i really need to play it i've only ever seen you play it yes do it okay frequency works like this there's a track inside of an octagonal tube and the track moves at a constant pace toward the player Okay. Yeah. And as the track moves, little circles appear on the tracks and walls. And when they line up with a spot on the track, you hit a corresponding button and the game plays music. Nice. So the aesthetic kind of looks like Tron. So it's Um, like, it's like reading musical notes. Correct. Differently. It is. Yeah. In a very bastardized way of reading musical notes. Yes. Yeah. So, as they line up with this, the particular indicators and you hit the right buttons on your controller because you used a controller, mm-hmm. you got points for hitting the correct combos. And what was really cool about this is it came out, when it came out in 2001, it had a multiplayer mode that was built into it with up to four people. And it was one of the few games that you could use playing, um, you could play with other people online using the PS2. That's so, really nice. There weren't a lot of games that used the PS2's online network, but this one was one you could play with your friends. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, I remember when my friend got the PS2, 
he was like, and my console can also do online gaming. And I was like, oh, how, how do we use that? And he was like, I, I am I'm not sure yet. <laughs> I don't have any games that can do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there weren't many. So that, I think it. Right. That, was called, that was frequency, right? Frequency. Yeah. That was called frequency. Yeah. Yep. So the music for the game ended up being by a bunch of different artists who did mostly electronica. I looked over the the songs and I did recognize some a few names though. So they managed to get music by the Crystal Method, No Doubt, Freeze mm. Pop. Paul Oakenfold and Powerman Five Thousand. Nice. The only thing I recognize is No Doubt, but okay, other names. I re- cool. I recognize the rest of those, but I was also into electronica in the early two thousands. So, nice. I mean, I still love electronica, but so okay. So they want to publish this game, so they pitch the idea to Microsoft, but Microsoft president Ed Fries turns them down. He essentially told them he was like, "You're not going to sell." a music rhythm game that didn't use some kind of custom hardware or peripheral. He was like, I don't think trying to get people to play your game on a controller, like a regular controller would be fruitful. Um, And so they end up instead, they end up pitching it to Sony and they take a deal with Sony to make the game. Now I couldn't find a ton of info on like what the deal was for them, but we'll talk about how it pans out here in a minute. So here's what Alex said about the game. This is kind of a lengthy quote, but he says, When we set about the process of designing Frequency, our goal was to create an experience that looked like a video game visually, that we could present to gamers as a video game. But once they got inside it, using the skills that they had already learned as gamers, they would realize that what they've been really doing the whole time is making music. And what they were having is a music-making experience. Gamers have an incredibly deep and dedicated skill set that nobody gives them any credit for, which they've developed through gaming playing games is not easy which you notice immediately if you put a sophisticated video game in the hands of a 45 year old who didn't grow up on video games and watch them fail to be able to deal with it gamers have all of these video game specific skills responding to the symbolic and iconographic Mm. visual of information with a very rapid manual response we decided to take those skills and build a video game that utilized them rather than try to teach gamers a whole new set of skills. People didn't want to learn a new set of skills. So we decided to use the gaming skills that people already had and repurpose them onto the task of making music. I think the observation of this overlap is is hyper impressive because it makes total sense because most games are nothing else but recognizing patterns and... Um, repeating them in a certain rhythm. You get through levels in jump and run games by maintaining your speed as you would when you play a musical piece and clicking the right buttons at the right time, which is what you do when you play an instrument. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's a, that's a good observation. So <clears throat> the game was cool, but it wasn't commercially successful. And Sony was very confused. They thought it was a great game, They were like, we really like this game, Sony in the aggregate, right? But they couldn't figure out why it didn't catch on. Now, this guy, Ryan Lesser, who was the art director at Harmonix, had a few thoughts on why this might have been. So the game was, first, the game was difficult in some ways that were unfun. Like, the game needed very precise timing. And sometimes being able to see on the screen what you needed was, like, visibility was difficult. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, the game was so different to people, it looked really weird. 
And this is at a time, remember, late 90s, early 2000s, when people would buy video games based on what did the box look like? What was on the back of the box? Did we read a magazine, like a print magazine that told me about the game? Side note, I used to love those magazines and I used to make gaming decisions based on that. And so what it ended up being was, is it was a really cool game, but it was a bit too abstract for the average consumer to just be like, well, this, this looks cool. I'm, I'm going to grab it off the shelf. Yeah. I have like a small anecdote about that. Um, yeah. In my hometown, when I got my, my, I got my PlayStation one and both my brother and me could choose a game to have to, to, to get bought by my mom. And she took us to this small video game shop. And what they did to advertise the games is that you could test play them. And oh. you would stand in the shop and he would get out the console and put it in front of you. And he had a little TV and I played Croc Legends of, he was like, Croc, this is, this is the shit for a 10 year old boy. And oh, he, it was. And he, and, and he made me test play the game. And the first 10 minutes of this game are actually designed to be a really good demo of what the game is going to be about. And they are not too hard, but they also give you a good visual of it. And maybe in a game that looks a bit alien as, um, frequency might have. That would have pulled, like, like put me off if I, if I was like, this doesn't make any sense. None of this feels like any of the games I've played before. I'm not going to buy this because, like, demos were a huge thing during that time, too. Oh, yeah. So <clears throat> the game ends up being a pretty big. So that, well, just let me just backpedal before I move on. Yeah. I agree. Though I will say that as we'll find out in their next entry, people who played it loved it. It was just getting people to play it was the issue. So, okay. So anyway, this game ends up being a pretty big financial risk for Sony. Yeah. And they were like, look, this was a cool game. We don't know why it didn't catch on. So let's make another one. Let's make a second entry. We'll give you some suggestions for changes. We'll do like focus group stuff for you. So they decide they're going to make a sequel to Frequency and it's called Amplitude. And so these names. What, I know, what, right? What what are the we have a list of terms <laughs> related to aud, aud, audio technology? Let's let's take the next one. We took frequency. Let's take what other things can noises do? They can have an amplitude. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think, I think it's I do think it's smart marketing though because it's very snappy. It's a buzzword. Yeah. You hear it, you're like, okay, this is about sound. Done. Easy. Right. So, okay, so they want to make this next game. And so Sony's marketing division does a bunch of fo focus testing, and they get a dozen place, you know, self-proclaimed PlayStation fans together, and they give each person what they call a sell sheet and, and say, you know, what on this sheet would you be likely to buy? And so they gave them information about what Amplitude was, and then they let them play something on it. Or like play a little bit of it. So Alex ends up after this focus group, he gets a call from Sony and they're like, look, the game's in a really weird place. People's interest before they play the game is at the lowest we have ever seen from a game. But after they play it, their intent to buy the game is the highest they had ever seen. So basically they're like, we think you've got a great game, but it's going to be very difficult to market because people weren't interested in playing the game until they played it. That's that's a conundrum, right? That, that must be really annoying to have. <laughs> like, geez, I created something awesome. 
that nobody wants to have. It's like that old Greek mythology. I don't know. It's, it's like a Greek woman and she's forced to always tell the truth, but nobody believes her. It's the same thing. So you always make the perfect software, but nobody wants it. It's a modern, it's a modern day Greek mythology. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I would not want to be the person trying to make those marketing decisions, but that's, I mean, that's why they get paid the money to do that. Right. <laughs> so, so they're like, all right, how do we change this game up? So the team ends up changing this tube format. Like it was this tube that you were in to a flat, um, like this flat, indicator on the screen so they wanted to be basically just show this like flat um indicator coming toward you and then leave the rest of the screen open so you could see other visuals and other stuff mm-hmm. so if you ever play guitar hero this is like gonna oh, this links like. up yeah, right yeah. it's exactly what it looks like so <clears throat> they said you know it was done for visual reasons and it made the game more interesting to look at Mm-hmm. And then they also added something that a ship that they called the beat blaster. And it was the beat blaster would um, help you to line up which dots you were going to hit. And there were like little player avatars that you could use to unlock costumes for. And they thought that maybe that made like the little battle sections more exciting. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm hitting buttons. It was like, oh, that's my character up there doing this thing. Right. Yeah, give it so, give it some fluff so people can relate to it. Yeah, right. They got bigger name artists um, for marketing reasons, but they decided to keep some of the more underground artists that they had from the first one. So some of the more famous artists that I saw on there were Weezer, Papa Roach, Pink, David Bowie, Slipknot, Blink One Eighty Two. I mean, Dude. it's the early two thousands, right? Yeah. So. I don't know I, if that I, lineup could uh, exist in my head. And my head, it just goes on with I don't know. Lincoln Park would, <laughs> would, would be the next. <laughs> Crawling in my skin. Yeah, that was those were bold times. Um, uh, the days of old. <laughs> um, so they get these figure name artists, and uh, you know. It was a better game. Sales were better, but they still weren't great. Again, I couldn't find exact numbers here. And <clears throat> this was the last game that they made in the series because Sony was hesitant to keep throwing money at it. But the team loved it. As Ryan Lesser put it, quote, it was very fresh, experimental, and fun. We loved that game so much it almost didn't even matter what anyone else said about it. We wanted to make that game regardless, and we were lucky to have had really good critical reviews for the original frequency. It didn't sell very well, but people really liked it, and we knew the game could get better. And I've read some stuff where Alex says that in his opinion, Amplitude is the best game that the company ever made. I've never played it, so I don't know, but I know that it did establish like a big cult following over the years, and they tried to re-release it on the PS4 back in 2016. And like the Kickstarter was really turbulent and like it had different music. It was reworked in a bunch of ways and it got really average reviews. I think that like just in the aggregate off the cuff, people were happy to see it back, but the new update left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I think it's difficult. Like if you if you have found your classic piece, your that is what what we aspire to be. And 10 years later, you still look back on that and think like, maybe we can really re-release this. And then you notice 
it was also a product of its time and it will yeah. not be as well received now because we live in different times. Boy, that is the entire episode, Docs. That's <laughs> the whole episode. Product of their time. So <laughs> Amplitude ends up putting harmonics on the map as this company that had the capability to produce music games with some kind of critical acclaim, even if they didn't sell well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for their next game, harmonics ends up landing a partnership with Konami. Nice. So in Japan, Konami had been making tons of music and rhythm games for years, right? Like DDR, which like, I'm not even going to get into DDR because it deserves its own episode. Absolutely. So Konami had decided <clears throat> that they wanted to make a karaoke game of some kind. So they call up harmonics and they're like, do you want to work on a project with us? You've made yourself as a, you know, a name in the business as developers, like in the music sphere. And so they worked together and created a game called karaoke revolution that released in 2003. Have you heard of this? No, it sounds like a good karaoke title. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. The game. <clears throat> so was it anything well, like SingStar or, or games like that? It's very similar. To you have to, you, you have to hit a certain tone and, it kind of checks if you've got the lyrics right. Yep, that's exactly right. Okay. So here's a quote. Uh, we took a step back and said, well, what kind of game can we create that has incredibly broad mainstream appeal to even people who don't consider themselves gamers who would be willing to pick up this game and give it a try? How can we turn the tide and help expand people's understanding of what music gaming is and put it on the map as a mainstream category? That was a big part of the conception of Karaoke Revolution. So they're moving even further into how do we just get the average person to pick this up and mess with it? Yeah. So the game works like this. You pick a song and much like a karaoke machine, it shows you the words on the screen and then you sing those words. The game came with this like microphone peripheral. So we're starting to move into like games being bundled with peripherals. And you used that as your controller and you were scored based on how well you sang along with the song. Um, The technology wasn't great at detecting individual words that you were saying, but it could hear pitch. And that was the thing. Okay, nice. I just remember from SingStar that at some point we figured out that you could get the maximum score by just screaming la 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 (laughs) la. There were people who figured out... There were people who figured out in later like rock band and things like that, that if you put a fan up to the microphone, it would hit, it would blast through all the pitches and give you perfect five stars on every song. Nice. Achievement unlocked. And then, but but then you kind of miss the point of karaoke. Um, Yeah, that's true. Still fun. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So uh, Konami wanted to do this but they weren't sure how much they wanted to gamble on their first entry to the game. So Harmonix, while they had success with previous games, were still kind of small time. And so they decided that instead of paying artists for the master tracks of songs that they wanted to include in the game, that they would pay Harmonix a much cheaper price to record covers of all the songs instead. And so there's a documentary out there um, that shows a bunch of this stuff, like how they created all of these things, including how they used like motion capture to make the singers look realistic on the stage and stuff. It was like a whole lengthy process. Mm-hmm. So, but this was a game that required a separate controller 
the microphone peripheral, yeah. which was not common at the time, at least in the US, right? But it ends up being a hit because it came out around the time when American Idol was becoming very popular in the US and they totally capitalized on that market. It had appeal because literally anyone could play it. I remember that the only additional peripherals you got for consoles that I knew or know now were all the bullshit you could get for the Sega back in the 90s. But also the PS1 had a bunch of them. But they mostly turned the PS1 into more like a PC. So you could get a normal mouse for a PS1 to play all these strategy games. But I've the first time I saw a real peripheral for a console that looked different or was something like a microphone was with games on the PS2. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're about to hit that point. So... <clears throat> so it ends up appearing on IGN's list of the top 100 PlayStation 2 games. Nice. And mostly because of how it set the later stage for music games with peripherals and it ended up being pretty fun to the average consumer. And they said, you know, IGN noted in that particular article that the fact that Harmonix was in charge of it is really what made the game good. Yeah. So they end up spawning this large franchise that's kind of a spinoff of our main story here, and I won't get into it, but the game first came out in 2003, and the last mainline game came out in 2009. I won't dig too far into this series, but by my count, they made eight games that were just Karaoke Revolution alone in that time. Yeah, I think so, if, you, if, you, if, if you get into a game like that, you can iterate upon it well. Yes. But because... First, you can just always put in more songs, but you can also improve your technology because there's focus. You don't have to add much. There's no features right. you need to build in to sell it to people. You've got all the core stuff yeah. ready to go. Right. So like some of the later games added in like low, uh, low grade motion tracking so that you could do like dance moves and stuff. And so while we're talking about what they're up to, uh, which is, you know, Guitar Hero and such. Yeah. Uh, remember, they're also cranking out these karaoke revolution games too. And although, side note, I read somewhere that even though karaoke revolution sold well, harmonics themselves were still only doing a little bit better than breaking even. So right. as per their agreement. So, so they were not making much money. They were not. Okay, so at this point, let me give you a side story. And this side story ties in. Let's go back, back in time, back from 2003 in our time machine. We're going to go to 1998. Ah, uh, yes. That's not, not too far. It's like five years. It's really not that far at all, no. But, but you know, 2003 and 1998 was a big different time. And I remember 1998, on all of the pictures with me, I was wearing... Uh, anoraks that had purple and yellow and green in weird shapes on it. The fashion in 1998 was... You were like, weird. what? You know what an anorak is? Like a jacket? Uh, a big, oh, a big I know. puffy jacket that keeps you warm and it had like the weirdest color combinations. I've never heard the word, but I can imagine what the jacket looks like. Yeah. Good, good time travel. Five years. <laughs> so, 1998... Konami made a rhythm game 
called Guitar Freaks. <laughs> it was an arcade game that you could play with your friends with controllers that look like guitars. And it was pretty popular in Japan at the time, which like, no surprise, Japan always had a huge arcade scene. Even still today, they do with lots of rhythm games. That's what I thought about before. Because the whole music video game section kind of fits right into the arcade. And of course, it, it works in Japan because Japan is arcade country. Yep. So you end up, you play the game by strumming on a controller that looks like a guitar and hitting buttons as they line up on the screen. Yeah. The controller has three buttons, one of them uh, at the top, red, green, and blue, and a level to strum and like basically like a thing you push down on as the notes line up. And so you get more points by hitting the buttons at the right time and not missing any and too many notes knocks you out right yeah sounds like guitar hero yeah. and the game is seen as one of the first if not the first to create a popular simulated in, uh, instrument game okay with that in mind let's go back to the present day which is 2004 ish or 2005 ish it's not really clear <laughs> and so with this in mind okay the they they directly talk about guitar freaks spawning guitar hero yeah. and that it's like a spiritual successor to that okay yeah so <clears throat> to, uh let's start talking about this company called red octane they're going to enter the picture and they're going to be important a small side story about red octane they specialized in making controllers specifically for rhythm games like ddr i think that even back in my old ddr days I bought Red Octane pads because I remember hearing that they were like really good. So they were hardware producers. They were hardware producers specifically for controllers, specifically for rhythm games. Oh, okay. So they had published their own game called In the Groove, which was like a DDR clone, but it wasn't nearly as popular. I remember In the Groove because there was like an arcade version at this place that Andrea and I used to hang out as teenagers. And like, it was okay. Like it wasn't DDR, but it was okay. So, okay. So why am I telling you about these people? So they, so they, they're hardware producers and they reach out to this guy, Jack McCauley. Mm -hmm. And they ask him if he wants to help them make a guitar controller to be used in a video game. McCauley had been in the field for a while, uh, doing some like digital hardware stuff and had worked for a bunch of companies, including Microsoft and Sony. And they're like, hey, we want to make this guitar, create some music to go with it, and turn it into a game. And he's not sold. He's like, yeah, this, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the gist I got from his interviews is he was like, I don't know why I would ever do this, right? But they give him one of the guitars from Guitar Freaks, and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll start messing with this. And he totally like, like reverse engineers it, and writes this short little game about what you could do with it. And once he got into the tech of like ripping apart this guitar, he was like, oh, I'm totally sold. And the guys from Red Octane were totally sold too. That's so difficult to sell innovation to people, right? Because if you if you sell something to someone you want to work with and he's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. This seems like a bullshit idea. What do you even want? This has not been done before because it's crap. And then you show it to him and he understands. Ah, yeah, this makes sense. So they reach out to Harmonix and ask them if they want to collaborate on a music game. Mm -hmm. So Red Octane comes to them and they're like, do you want to work on a game with us? And the idea is, is that Red Octane would make the guitar controllers 
and harmonics would make the games. Now, it's kind of unclear here, but I think they collaborated on these things. I, I never really could find like the division of labor, but they would basically be working together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, harmonics is at this point where they had just put a team together to work on another game. And they start thinking, is this it? Is this where we can make the game that we've always wanted? Right? And so they had worries, though, because they had grown. And Red Octane was a bit smaller than they were. And, you know, Red Octane didn't really have the marketing chops that Harmonix did after they had kind of knocked it out of the park with this karaoke revolution thing. But they decide to take the offer. They take them up on it. Yeah. So they decide early on, well, it can't just be a guitar game. It has to be a rock guitar game. Because just, a you know, an acoustic guitar game wouldn't really have the same, you know, oomph to it. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to Spanish Guitar Conquistador. Uh, today we play the rhythmic sounds of the southern theme. <laughs> Relax and sit back to play your chunky guitar controller and make me relax by um, using the slightly racist accent. And also, <laughs> <laughs> also, um, yeah, it makes sense to make it a to make it sellable because nobody is listening to Spanish classical guitar. <laughs> Welcome to the video game where you get to pretend to be that strange guy on the street corner smashing on a guitar and asking for change. Asking for change. And your high scores, how much change you got. And it, is, <laughs> and it is not related to how good you played. It's just random how much money you get, depending on which people come by. <laughs> oh, shit, you bagged a big one. You made $4. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, look how full your hat is. <laughs> Someone stole it. I guess you gotta eat from the trash again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so you can see why they decided to make it a rock guitar game. I can, I can so, see it, yeah. So, how do you make a rock guitar game? So, they all remember Greg. I mentioned Greg earlier. They all decide to get together at Greg's brother's house and they bring all of the team leads with them. And they sit down in front of this giant ceiling mount projector and they start getting hammered. And they just sit and watch all of these classic rock bands, Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Rolling Stones, right? And basically by the end of the night that they found out that they were all, quote, opinionated music snobs and had a blast <laughs> together to just talk about music. Nice. We have learned from recent uh, episodes that getting blasted uh, seems to be an essential step to achieve inspiration. I have not, I don't think we've done a single episode yet or researched anything yet that didn't involve the team getting drunk together for some specific reason that then yeah. ended up in the game. Yeah. So they, after this, they, they all sort of come together and they start drawing up prototype material and they start figuring out how the game is going to play. Now, one of the biggest lessons that they learned from their previous games was that abstract concepts didn't work as well as ones that people were familiar with. So the first song that they prototype was a song by Weezer called Dope Nose because they already had access to that song by Weezer from when they did Amplitude. And it has a guitar solo in it. This is what led them to create what they called the Dope Nose Demo. So, (laughs) right... As John Tam, one of the guys from Red Octane, put it, quote, we were working on it for so long, and even a year ago today, 
uh, when we were playing what we called the Dope Nose demo, it looked like Pong. There were no graphics, just 8-bit graphics, uh, with the correct sound files laid in so that it would play according to the music system, and it was just so much fun. We didn't have a good guitar, and it didn't look very good, and there was no real scoring. It was just hit a note, get a point. And we played that for like a month straight, and we knew that we were onto something really great. We just didn't know how well it would catch on or how well it would bring it all together, and ultimately, we didn't even know how good we could get the guitar to be. And we're very proud of our portion of the recipe, and we're glad that we secured harmonics for the project and all that. So it's been super exciting. Exactly. Nice. That's like an awesome old pattern again. It's iterate um, over a mechanic you figure out and play it again and again to figure out why it's fun. Yes. You will see a lot of iteration in this, although I don't know that some of it's good. But (laughs) So it was just a bunch of white lines scrolling down a screen. You hit notes at the right time. And immediately, as you do, they start competing with each other in the office and putting their high scores on this big whiteboard in the office as like a sign of dominance, right? Yes. And they realize very early on that they're having a blast and it's like really fun. Cool. So they get working fast because they already had years of usable code from their music games that they could reference. So they pulled all the character systems and all the venues out from their coding from Karaoke Revolution and used that to iterate on what they used in Guitar Hero. And having these previous games under their belt helped them knock out Guitar Hero in nine months. Nice. That's really fast. That's fast production. That is very fast production. Yeah. So... Uh, you've, you've held the controller before, but just in case people who are listening have never held a guitar controller, uh, you know, a guitar hero controller, have never seen one. It looks like a guitar similar to the one that I described for guitar freaks, but it has five buttons on the top instead of three. You can also strum in the same way, but, uh, I don't know if it was the first controller or the second controller, but you could strum up and down on the like original guitar freaks control, I think you could only strum one direction, but you could hold it and you could strum the button up and down. Um, they added something called a whammy bar where you could hold it. It would make the, it would warp your music a little bit. Um, it had a sensor in it. Um, basically like they asked red octane early on for the ability to tilt your guitar to activate abilities. So it would know like when you moved it, And that was how you'd activate your star power is by flipping the guitar up dramatically like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to do this solo. And it would activate your star power and it would save you. Yeah, so you feel like a real musician. Yeah, You do. Red Octane was like, well, that's going to make controller more expensive. And they were like, it's going to be worth it in the end. And they were right. It was like a really small guitar, right? It was about two and a half feet or something. Not too, too big. It was big for a controller. I would call it this is off the cuff. I would call it close to like two thirds the two thirds of the size of an actual electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the, but here's the issue. So they they have Red Octane designing these guitars, but they couldn't actually make the game using the guitars because the guitars hadn't been produced yet. So they went and bought ah. a bunch of third party guitars on the internet that were really hard to find. And like they were missing all these features that Guitar Hero ended up shipping with. There are tons of things that they couldn't test close to launch. And, you know, once the actual controllers started getting made, 
there were only like a few prototypes. So there's these stories of like one person's using the guitar and they'd be like, shit, Chad needs the guitar. And they'd grab the guitar from whatever they were doing and they'd run down the hall and they'd hand the prototype to that guy and they would use it. And then they'd be like, Tiffany needs the guitar. And then they'd grab the guitar and they'd run down the different hall and they'd give it to him. Right. So it was a whole process. So, so I guess that they had a really ambitious schedule and it created this situation where they didn't have like a lot of menus or like minor things ready at beta because they spent so much time working on the core mechanic, which was great. And that's the whole reason that the game works, but they found themselves in a situation where they needed to enter crunch hours to get it done. And I'm bringing this up because it has topical things we'll talk about here in a second. So I read an article where they said that they tried so hard to avoid crunch and they were unable to avoid it. And that they thought that crunch to them was like a badge of shame. They said they thought that if you needed crunch hours, that you made poor planning decisions or didn't allocate work properly. And so I guess that after that went down, they changed how they tried to schedule each feature being made and they were never really able to avoid crunch, but they were able to cut down on it. So they didn't get blindsided by like, oh, we've got this great game, but like there's no menus, yeah. right? To explain to listeners um, what crunch is, if they've never heard it before, crunch um, is a term used in um, the software industry that describes certain moments within the software development in which you have to put in high amounts of work in in short intervals to finish the product because you need to get it ready for some kind of deadline, which is an integral part of today's um, computer game and software industry. And it is frowned upon many, many software developers because it can mean that you are like you're stuck in your office for weeks and can't go out because you need to finish the product. Yeah, it's very difficult on the people who are doing it too. Yes. And it's like you basically eat, sleep, and breathe that job during crunch. And so I've, I've made a point to point this out because, you know, maybe someday we can do an episode on crunch or something like that just as a concept. But, you know, we did an episode about Naughty Dog a few episodes ago. And I read an, ep uh, I read an article recently where someone who, uh, you know, used to work there claimed that crunch has become so bad at Naughty Dog these days that they're having a hard time maintaining any experienced people who actually want to work there because it's, you know, it's just, it's just too much to handle game after game after game. But that's a big part of the industry now and developers who even developers who say, you know, we're not going to do crunch like a uh, cyberpunk 2077 announced recently that like they put out an apology recently that they had to do crunch even though they swore up and down that they never would. Yeah. But for example, uh, as an opposite, the um, producers of DRG recently announced that they would um, delay their updates by over a month just because that we're, this is it, it's crunch time. It, it should be crunch time and we're not doing it. So we're just delaying it and we're saying this is a toxic part of the video game industry that needs to be destroyed. And so let's not let's not get it to crunch if we don't have to. Yeah, I was very excited. I'm very excited for that Deep Rock Galactic update, but I agree with you. I was so excited to see them be totally honest and say, 
no, we like our kids just went back to school. <laughs> like we we're we're really booked right now, so like we're not gonna put ourselves through that. Yeah, that's the point. So, because crunch destroys your private life. And that can't does. happen. I think just to, to to go on this, I think I remember reading that the the producers of Cyberpunk sent out like apology emails to their staff about like we realize this is hard on you and your families and stuff. On the other hand, like they're still doing it though. You know, like you can apologize, but you're still you're still doing crunch. And there are reasons why that may occur that, you know, maybe are something we could do a deep dive into later. But that was their thought. But at I, least. I think we can make another point about crunch because that's important to to mention here is that I think video the video game industry is so susceptible to the concept of doing crunch time because the people who do this do it because they love the industry and because they love doing what they do. And if you are in love with your with your art. Um, and that's why artists as well overwork themselves in their in their product. You you start to forget yourself and your own needs, and you you think if I want to protect myself from from the harm my work does to do, maybe I don't want it enough, and maybe I don't deserve to be here. And so I, I think it's it's a, a psychological thing that's connected to how the industry. Um, came to be it's by people that were dreaming about creating games yeah and you know there are definitely companies that take advantage of that yeah and you know i don't want to call out a specific company or another right electronic arts (laughs) (laughs) the great destroyer (laughs) you know i've heard rumors of like the people working within blizzard and you know these are unconfirmed i don't want to you know Put that out there, but I've heard I don't, I don't, I don't want to get sued by Blizzard. <laughs> please don't, please don't fucking sue me, Blizzard. Okay, you have way more money than I do. You're not going to get anything from me unless you want to sue me for my student loan debt. Okay. <laughs> so I've heard rumors in a fictional setting within a video game that a fictional company that may or may not have a name based on based on uh, an ice storm uh, may take advantage of the fact that the people who work there are really into those games and use that as a means to extract more from them than they really should. Because landing a job at a company like Blizzard is a huge deal in your life. And yeah, you, and right? You or you might grow up playing like, oh, I grew up playing Warcraft 2 and now I can work on those games is like, you know, a dream of a lot of people. Yeah. I used to think about it. So yeah. and now to get the point back to where we've been and it's the same for those guys this is their dream and they yeah. love doing this and they were like but we're not doing crunch but now they are in the position where if they have to decide are we doing crunch or are we not doing this and right. so they, exactly. they have to make the decision we're doing crunch because this is our dream yeah so okay so because of all of this they end up having to cut some things from the game They wanted a practice mode. They couldn't get it. They wanted a freestyle mode. They wanted some kind of multiplayer mode. None of it fit in. They also had budget concerns, and they couldn't bring in enough people to make the game that they really wanted. So basically, anything that was tangential to the core concept got cut out. Mm -hmm. Um, They couldn't get a lot of the big-name songs that they wanted. They really wanted to shoot to get some ACDC songs in there. They couldn't. And, you know, some bands were not interested in being a part of the game. So almost everything that either made it into the game, um, if it was a big name band, it was like a cover um, or some bands wouldn't participate at all because the thought was that they, they thought that maybe it would do, do a disservice to their music at the time. 
right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you can, as an artist, you decide why you want to do something or not. So that's fine. Of course. So I, I mentioned Jack McCauley um, earlier, the guy who worked on the guitars and stuff. He was chief engineer on the project, and he said that they didn't expect the game to sell much. Mm-hmm. Maybe that they were lucky they'd sell 100,000 units. The game hits in 2005. It was for, you could buy it for $70 because it came with um, the controller and it was only available on the PS2 and they were not expecting much from this. And they were like, you know, maybe a hundred thousand units in the modern day. That's pretty small. And one stat that I saw though, sold that they didn't sell a hundred thousand units. They sold roughly 1.4 million units and it completely dominated the 2005 holiday season. Nice. It was the second most popular game on the PS2 that year. And it made $45 million in 2005 alone. I remember that it was everywhere. Oh, We've only just begun. <laughs> oh, this is the first dip into the vast abyss yeah. of Guitar Hero marketing. I just remember I I was actually learning the guitar at the time. Like I could I could I I had a private teacher and I had a little rock band, and all of a sudden, everybody had had this game. And they were talking about playing Guitar Hero, and I was like interested in what is this game about guitars? This sounds cool. Maybe I want it. But they were just having these fake guitars with little buttons and sticks, and I was I was a posh little man about me and my playing guitar. I was outraged that something like this would be allowed to be enjoyed by children while they could actually learn an actual guitar. These peasants, how could they? Look at those disgusting fucks over there having fun. That's not real fun. (laughs) Yes, I was appalled by Guitar Hero. Well, regardless, other people weren't because, uh, you know, it, it made like $45 million in one year. <laughs> it did. That's great. For them. Yeah. It cost them $1.5 or $1.75 million to make. And the marketing budget was $30,000 from what I read. Nice. That is a huge profit. So hardcore gamers were buying it and getting into it. And even people who didn't game much were playing it at parties, getting hooked and then saying, I got to play this game and going out and buying a PS2 just to buy Guitar Hero. It was an absolute hit. Ted Lange, the guitar expert who worked at Red Octane, said, quote, it makes you feel like you're a guitar player without having to practice for years and years and years. Yeah, but it's still it's still hard to play. Like Oh, it's not easy. No. I, I remember I was really I was really snobby about Guitar Hero, and then I played once and I, I was really bad at it. I just couldn't do it. I I I, yeah. I don't know. It it takes practice. It does. So Guitar Hero ends up selling really well. And Activision, you know, the company Activision, notices Activision. (laughs) We ruin games, Activision. (laughs) We'll buy you for lots of money and cast you to the curb, Activision. We're active in fucking over your IP. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is this where this is going to go? Is Activision going to fuck it up? Is this going to get bad because of Activision? We've only just begun. (laughs) Activision notices that the game is selling like crazy and offers to buy Red Octane in 2006. So this is Red Octane that is being bought 
not harmonics. Now, yeah. Red Octane, not a huge company at the time, so this is a pretty big deal to them. So they bought them for $99.9 million. Whoa. Why they didn't do 100 I don't know. Some, probably some tax break bullshit, but $99.9 million, they buy out Red Octane. So That's a lot of this, money. Yeah, it is a lot of money for a small company that makes like goofy little guitars. Yeah, but right? uh, what I, who got that money though? Do, is that like, I always wonder who gets the money. Do they just get it onto their bank account? The person's like one of them. And that's like, like they founded the company when they were 18. And when they founded it, one of them was like, one of us has to sign who's the owner of the company. <laughs> and they're all like, oh man, I don't know. I've got kind of anxiety, but one of them just does it. And then they got $99 million. And then they're like, you know, you, you, you just signed it for all of us, right? This is, this is out of the money now. Later, suckers. This is my hundred <laughs> bill you. now. Who's got fucking anxiety now, idiot? Yeah, drinking mojitos on the beach all day now. <laughs> Guess who's never going to have anxiety again? Me, baby. Me. <laughs> so... I have no idea. I'm sure they worked out the particulars of that. Yeah. But this puts Harmonix in the position of now having to collaborate with Activision, who owns Red Octane. So Activision starts dumping money in hard, and that gave them the ability to start working on Guitar Hero 2. And to skip ahead a little bit in the story, they put out Guitar Hero 2 less than a year after the first game. Mm-hmm. So I had played Guitar Hero 1. I remember I lived uh, like a couple doors down from this guy that I used to work with. And he was like, dude, I got to show you this game. I got to show you. I got to show you this thing. It's really fucking cool. And I went over and I played Guitar Hero 1. And I was like, holy fuck, my mind has been blown. Video games can do this shit. And I'm holding a guitar. (laughs) It was the fucking (laughs) coolest thing to me when I was in high school. Right. So this is around the time where I enter my Guitar Hero phase. And so a year after Guitar Hero 1 comes out, Guitar Hero 2 comes out. And things changed internally a bit from the first game. So while originally there was only a small team and a small budget, there was now more money to work with, more people to work with, more institutional resources, right? So they start being able to do a lot more. So... In Guitar Hero 2, they add in the multiplayer mode that they cut from the first one. And now a second player could plug in a second guitar and play either bass guitar or rhythm guitar. And so what they did is they took all of the songs and they broke them into their components. As opposed to in the first one, it was a single guitar audio stream. So in the first game, imagine that you were playing lead guitar, but then the lead guitar would stop for a while. Well, they didn't want you to just sit there and have dead air, so they'd have you also play, like, the rhythm guitar. Ah, yeah. So what they did in two is they broke it up into different streams, and, you know, you could, you could, one person could be bass, one person could be whatever, Mm -hmm. right? You know, lead. Yeah. So you could also switch the difficulties. Didn't they also sell different controllers for that? So you could have a drum controller and stuff like that? That's later. That's later. That's later. Yep. So just for now, it's just the two guitars. And what was cool was that one person could play on whatever difficulty they were accustomed to, but the new person could play on like beginner if they wanted to. So you could, 
you know, you could sort of save each other in that regard if you needed to teach somebody. Mm -hmm. So, so they improve the controller. They optimize the controller, uh, but you could still use the old one if you wanted to. And I remember I was so into Guitar Hero that I used to be able to tell the difference between the old and the new guitars, depending on like weight and style of how they made them and stuff. Um, <laughs> Guitar so, Hero Connoisseur. Mm, uh, 2005 yes. Red Octane produced. Oh, you can still <laughs> smell <laughs> the sweat mm. of the Chinese kid that had to disassemble this piece. <laughs> mm. Yes, I think that uh, with enough time and sniffing of the internal components, I could actually indicate which province this was produced in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... <laughs> mm, smells like this sat in a second-hand store for four months? Four months. <laughs> good time. Yes, good time. Good year. <laughs> oh, man. So, anyway... um. <laughs> songs of note that showed up in the game were sweet child of mine by guns and roses nice. woman by wolf mother war pigs by black sabbath uh at the end of the game when you got to the end someone in the crowd would shout free bird free bird <laughs> and then you'd play free bird i remember being fucking blown away i was like holy shit i'm playing free bird <laughs> yeah, but that's um, some that's some driven music right there that's nice it is I remember being really fucking excited that Dead by My Chemical Romance was on there because I fucking, I still to this day love My Chemical you Romance. Love that Unapologetic. Reason, yeah. Cool. It's not for some reason, good, it's because good. they're the best. Yeah. Good for you, man. <laughs> you, better, you better watch your tongue. <laughs> Do you kiss your mother with that mouth, young badger? <laughs> How dare you besmirch the name of My Chemical Romance? But so they, anyway, as you can tell, they got more big name artists and they actually, you know, they got a lot more master tracks, although not all of them. Mm -hmm. And what was cool was that this time artists started reaching out to them and saying, we want to be in the game. And so, again, like in the beginning, there was like a worry that maybe they were going to like ruin their music or, you know, bastardize their music or whatever. But bands felt better having seen the core concept of the first one. And, and so they started offering, you know, to, to create yeah. this deal with them. They wanted in on Not it. to use this evil word too much, but it's, it's good exposure, I guess. It is. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because they kept up on... So the game came with 64 playable songs. And, but only about 40 of them were, were songs from major labels. And so what was cool was I definitely got exposed to artists that I never would have if... I hadn't played the game, right? Yep. So um, some of the older songs, I noted, this was like a development thing. Some of the older songs, they actually had to re-record parts because they were so old that they like couldn't split the tracks, right? Like, what do you do when there's an old bad, an old Black Sabbath song and it was just one take of everybody's, all their instruments together. Yep. It wasn't like modern where you could like isolate each individual thing, mm -hmm. right? So... You know, they had to split up this like lone analog track, but it releases on PlayStation 2, November 2006, and the Xbox 360 in April 2007. So it was the first time it came to Microsoft consoles. And they sold, from what I could tell, close to 4 million units, and the game made $200 million. Dude. That's a lot of money. That's, that's pretty insane. 
especially because they produced it that fast because you you always have to divide um profit by time and if they just yeah. like if, if they just improved their old game within less than a year and smashed it out again and made that amount of money that's worth more than if they would have taken more time. So if you couldn't tell by what I'm saying here, I was really into Guitar Hero. And when it came out, I was at the end of high school. And I remember that on uh, like the last couple of days of high school, there were, it was basically like you were filling hours. Like, you know, they they knew that all the material was done and they'd be like, just do whatever you want. You can just hang out in this class. Let's watch a movie for the seventh time. Exactly. So what they did is in most of the classes, they were just like, you guys just just hang out so i took in my backpack on the last day of like my senior year (laughs) i took in my backpack uh my playstation and all my control i had my controller sticking out of my backpack and i would hook it up into the old crtvs that were in the room and we would all sit around and play guitar hero it was fucking awesome you know (laughs) high school is shit most of the time but those memories i have as well those those good few moments (laughs) yeah I bet that my girlfriend at the time was really sick of it, but she leaned into it pretty well. I have to give her credit. I remember that she, there was a Foo Fighters song. I think it was on the third one called monkey wrench. And she got so good at it. She could hundred percent it on expert nice. and I could never keep up with her. So <clears throat> the second one has hit and Viacom who owns the company Viacom. You may have heard of them. You may yeah. have not. They're a television brand and they own MTV. Uh, And so after the second game comes out, the head of MTV says, we need it on this shit right now. Yeah, of course they do. So they go to Harmonix and they offer to buy Harmonix and integrate them into Viacom. Now they hope that they'd be able to rejuvenate the MTV brand if they could get tied in with Harmonix. So here's a quote from Alex. Quote, it was time for us to be part of a bigger company. If we were going to do what we intended to do on the scale that we wanted to do it, we needed resources, end quote. So this creates a schism. Red Octane and Activision owned the name Guitar Hero, <laughs> oh no. but Harmonix owned the patents on the gameplay that they created. This meant that Harmonix could no longer make Guitar Hero games and would have to split off. So they team up for one last game that they had contractually agreed to do. It was called Guitar Hero Encore Rocks the 80s. And it was like basically an expansion of the first game with just 80s songs. But the two companies would go on to make their own games and never partnered up again. That's a pretty big breakup because they... Even though the concept was created by harmonics, what the things that Red Octane did for them um, will probably influence them far into their later game development. Which you will and remember, make. I said that it was difficult to tell who kind of did what and how much collaboration was going on. So this was very much both their their own, you know, the two of these two companies created this this game baby, yeah. and now they they have to split. That's right? also an issue we run into while researching this all the time. It's it's impossible to say who did what, and it's right. a collaborative effort. <clears throat> now, so the next game to hit 
was in October 2007, and it was Guitar Hero 3 Legends of Rock. Now, remember, this. there's no input from the original Harmonix guys on this. This is Activision. So Activision finds a new developer, and they look to one of their own internal divisions, and they start working with a company called Neversoft, which at this point they owned. For those of you who didn't, have not heard Neversoft... Didn't they do ducks. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater or something? Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. They're famous for making the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater games. Okay. How did how did, <laughs> how did Neversoft, being the one kid that didn't say no fast enough... <laughs> That's essentially... I mean, they... Imagine if you're owned by Activision, your little company is owned by Activision, and they come to you and say, hey, you want to make the next installment in one of the most popular games ever made? Do you fucking say no? You don't. You say, absolutely, I'll do it, right? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't privy to that conversation, but... Yeah, I guess. Let's, <laughs> let's just take the Peter Molyneux approach. <laughs> just... I, I was totally thinking of that. At the yeah, same, I was like, yeah, I'm uh, just like, fuck it. Sure, I can do this. I have, I'm, uh -huh. I am, we also have music in our games, so this can't <laughs> be too hard. Peter Molyneux, Peter Molyneux walks back into a break room and goes, how the fuck do I make a music game out of cans of beans? How do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just record the sound of me hitting on cans of beans. All right, we can make this work. We can make this work. I can do this for like 25 bucks, bro. I can do this for like 25 bucks. <laughs> just give me my old Amiga back. I can do this. <laughs> I will never say, oh, Peter, 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 we love you, Peter. Yeah. We love you, Peter. <laughs> okay. So it ends up having a bigger story mode and there was a co-op story mode too. And I remember what they really did is they hyped it is that they weren't just letting you play as the songs of all of these like big name artists. They like got permission to use the imagery of um like some of the artists like slash from um guns and roses was in it mm -hmm. and you could play online with other people and do these like guitar battle things and so like in the game you do like a guitar battle with slash and it'd be like if you could you know he could do things that would like knock your bar down you could do things to knock his bar down and like i think the game ends spoiler to the story of guitar hero 3 i think you battle like the devil in like a rock off um, so it was pretty cool nice. to 2007 me, but it did feel different than previous games. And we'll talk about why in a minute, but it released on PlayStation two, <clears throat> but also on PlayStation three. So we've moved into the next generation of consoles now. Um, Xbox three, six, well, I guess it released on Xbox 360 for the last game too, mm -hmm. but, uh, the Wii and it came out on PC as well. And there was lots of DLC that came out for this one. They sold somewhere around 1.3 to 1.4 million copies of the game in six days and 1.9 million copies in the next month alone. Now, the accepted number that I have seen for the amount of money that Guitar Hero 3 made was about $830 million in profit, but Activision actually places the number over a billion dollars. That is insane. Wow. Um, that's four times as much as the second one did. 
simple math, simple math. Second one was 200 million, uh, right? I've already forgotten. No, no, yeah, 200 million. Yeah, so so either four to five times the amount that the previous one made. That's the magic of, not that it was not good, but sure. that's the ma- also the magic of having a successful franchise to lean on. It's true. So a uh, little side story about me. <clears throat> I went to the midnight release of Guitar Hero 3. I stood in line and waited to get my copy. And I remember that it came with this poster of like this this uh, video game version of Slash. And I thought it was a really fucking stupid poster, but I loved Guitar Hero so much that I hung it up anyway. <laughs> and I actually found it. I still have it. I found it at my mother's. All these years later, it was in like a box up in her attic. All the way home, so, baby. And I was like, this is like the stupidest poster. I will, I will not hang this up in my room. <laughs> I'm already getting out the pins to get it in my room. I love this poster. I love this game. Such a I don't give a fuck about Slash, but I'll do this for you, Guitar Hero. <laughs> yes. So um, I remember thinking specifically at the time <clears throat> that I really liked the game. And that they had added a lot, but I was really annoyed at how much Activision ramped up all of the internal advertising for the game. So, like, there was so much in-brand subliminal messaging in that game, it felt like I was playing in one big commercial. So, like, for example, let's say you were scrolling down your set list, right? Like, they... Like when you'd scroll down in the menus, they made it look like a set list of all these cool songs and you'd pick your song. Well, in the third one, they decided that occasionally and at random intervals, a pack of five gum would just appear sitting on your set list. Or you'd be playing in this bar and all of a sudden you'd see in the background that one of the vending machines was a Mountain Dew vending machine and shit like that. Why? Yeah. So... I remember it was the last Guitar Hero game that I bought from a store because I remember feeling a little disenfranchised with it. It's not the last game I bought, but we'll talk about that later. It was the last one I paid full price for. So, um, side note regarding Guitar Hero 3, apparently there was some legal issue regarding Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses who tried to sue Activision over the game in 2010. Um, it's kind of a long story and I don't know that I am like qualified to speak on the particulars, but apparently he objected to them using welcome to the jungle in the game. And there was like some discrepancies with like slash being this like playable character and like slash was on the stage and like, they didn't want to equate slash with being guns and roses. Cause they had this like fallout, but after years of legal battles, the case got thrown out by a judge in 2013 a full six years after the game came out. Axel Roth just needed more distractions to not finish Chinese democracy. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what that guy's doing these days, but okay. Enter. Well, what about our friends, Alex and Aaron? So they decided, well, okay, we've had to split. So let's take that core concept and let's make it more ambitious. What if they made instruments for an entire band? So it was something that they had been discussing since the beginning and it had never come to fruition. And so remember, these guys already had experience working with guitar controllers and microphone controllers from their previous games. So it was just a natural extension of that. So they add in this drum peripheral and they allow the band to play. You could do a full band with two guitars, a microphone and a drum set. However, this meant that the price would go up 
which they didn't totally care about. And they called the game Rock Band. Nice. So Because it's a classic <clears throat> Rock Band setup. That makes a lot of sense. It is a classic Rock Band setup. Yep. Uh, and you could multitask, too. So you could play, like, guitar and vocals at the same time if you wanted to. But, uh, you know, I was actually just in the Discord <clears throat> talking to our friend. You all know him as Pico Legion. And we were talking about how the, the drums have a very distinct sound. It's like you, like, you know it. It's like the sound of, like, wood thwapping against plastic like this like rubbery plastic sound. Mm -hmm. And he was telling us a story about how he walked into like a pizza shop one time and he couldn't hear the music, but he could hear the thwapping of the, of like the, the sticks. And he was like, yep, somebody's playing rock band because <laughs> it's so distinct, right? <laughs> it's very loud is the short version of that story. It's very loud. So they get a lot of the original masters of the songs that have separated audio <clears throat> and their audio engineers had a lot of fun being able to pick apart the songs and the bass components. And again, the reason that you'd need these isolated components is because you had multiple instruments going on and playing at once. So imagine if the drummer stops drumming, then you need to drop the drum noise out of the song yeah, because and you, let the other parts continue. If you play the game only, like if you if you misplay, that gets like a, like a weird sound that sounds like you're misplaying your guitar, like dirt. And if you, um, if you stop playing, your music stops playing. Exactly. Yep. So... Uh, Greg, Greg Lopicolo, like we talked about before, did a great interview in this book called Games, Learning, and Society that came out in 2012. And he had some insights into how the, the design process was sort of iterated that led up to Rock Band. So <clears throat> here's Greg, quote, you sing into the mic and you know what you're supposed to do. You're a singer. So we built gameplay around that. The idea, we really, the idea really found its purest expression in the first version of Guitar Hero that we worked on, and then subsequently Rock Band. For Guitar Hero, the insight was that you needed to create the illusion of a musical experience. We got feedback saying, oh, this thing's really dumb. Who wants to hold a plastic guitar? But once we put in star power and rock poses and built it well, we were able to create an illusion that you were playing guitar, and that was just powerful enough to propel people toward that experience. We then expanded across multiple instruments for Rock Band. And the other significant contribution of Rock Band, that we were able to capture some of the feeling of an ensemble, the interplay among band members, and the idea that you were collaborating as a group, fusing together into a bigger sound. End quote. Yeah. So, and I would I still think about is that the original plan is to to make music more accessible and especially the creation of music more accessible. And they are not moving closer to the actual creation of music, but they are moving closer to another important aspect of music, that music is senseless if you do it alone. I mean, I wouldn't call music senseless. Well, okay. I think that brings us to a philosophical question of... Is art worth doing if no one ever sees it? Welcome to Codex X, philosophy, <laughs> philosophy for philosophy podcast. Hi, I'll be your host. I would like to talk to you specifically about art history and the theory behind why we make art. Video games are a natural extension of art theory. And where does the classic game Rock Band fit in? Docs, what's your opinion on this? Uh, art they Rock Band has 
significantly diminished the cause for creation of music in actual okay, let's stop this this is going too far but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so all right back on track back on track it's, uh, they take it to e3 and people go fucking ape shit for it the game was slated for release on both PS3 and the Xbox 360, but only Xbox decided to hype it at the show. How long did so, that take? Which year is this? Uh, well, let's look. So this came out in 2007, and they got bought by Viacom in 2006. So it took them a little over a year, sometime in, in about over That's a year. Fast again, yeah. They are riding the hype train pretty oh, well. They too. are. So <clears throat> they go to E3. And uh, they had this press conference. Mm-hmm. They bring out on stage Greg LaPiccolo, Alex Rigopoulos, who is now the CEO of Harmonix, yep. head writer Helen McWilliams, who we haven't mentioned yet, and the VP of Microsoft, Peter Moore. Now, Peter Moore famously did a really bad job at his part on stage, and it was kind of like a running joke. But what was good about it <clears throat> was that because he messed up and failed out, it gave them the ability to show how you can bring people back in if they fail and collaborate to save other people. Oh, I see. So a side note about Helen in this particular press conference, I guess Microsoft tried to tell her how she should dress and how to dictate her, like her wardrobe for her. And she had a quote about it, quote, they went shopping for me, which was very, really stressful. I wear a red bandana around my wrist. It's just an old rock and roll thing. And they said, oh, we like the bandana, but we want you to wear one that's Xbox green. And I was like, no one's tried to dress me since I was two years old. I'm not wearing your bandana. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so you fucking go, Helen. If you ever hear this, you go, Helen. Thanks yeah. for sticking it to Microsoft. Big respect for that. <laughs> corporate culture fuck them (laughs) yeah right so regardless uh they won several best of show awards at e3 and people were excited and so they have this long beta period where they're you know they're making the game and they quickly realized that they needed more space they had grown so quickly that harmonics realized they couldn't fit into their offices anymore and they had 130 staff members at that point. And I remember reading a story where <clears throat> they would all try to get together each day. And it was like this thing where they would all take lunch at the same time and they would all try and sit together. And the lunchroom was so packed that basically there were people who were like, once you sit down, you cannot stand back up if you need to leave. It was that packed person to person. Yeah. So in the middle of this stressful beta, like two months or something before release, They end up switching offices. So here's where things go off the rails because MTV decided to partner with Electronic Arts. The Great Destroyer enters the fray. Why are they part of every story we make? Can't they leave us alone? We can never escape EA. I thought Activision MTV- were the bad guys, but no, there's a darker evil. <laughs> a darker evil lurks. <laughs> so they needed someone to distribute Rock Band. So it ends up becoming a joint venture between Harmonix, 
what was called MTV Games, and now the Great Destroyer, lording above them on the horizon, Electronic Arts. You mean Elders and Associates. (laughs) (laughs) Elder God Associates. (laughs) Slurping the life essence out of your... uh, Slurping the life essence out of your, 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 your intellectual property. So, okay. So I really liked how they advertised this game. So what they did to advertise this game and show it off is they sent people from their team out to pretend like they were fake bands and they would play in bars around Hollywood with a rock band setup. So they'd send people out from like the coding team and dress them up in like full fucking punk rock clothes <laughs> and go pretend to play instruments. And this even included Alex, the CEO. He would go out and do like fucking interviews while he was wailing on the drums. Just like in that South Park episode where they play in like country country clubs <laughs> as guitarists with guitar hero. I'm so glad you remember that because I'm going to talk about the guitar or that episode yeah, soon enough. I love that episode. Chase the dragon, <clears throat> man. And- <laughs> <laughs> You're going to catch me. You almost got here. You're close. <laughs> you never fucking catch the dragon, man. You never catch the dragon. I see you're addicted to heroin, hero. Could I try and interest you in rehab heroes? <laughs> no, I don't think that's for me. I don't think rehab heroes for me. <laughs> And then fucking his dad gets addicted. He's like, what's this game? And he's just sitting on the couch all day. Hey, you never catch me. <laughs> you never catch the dragon stand. You never catch me. <laughs> Back on track. Back on track. <laughs> and we serious the fuck right up. <laughs> yeah, I can do this. Serious business. The game comes with 40 playable songs. Mm-hmm. And later... They added the ability to download songs and albums. Like you could download full albums in the DLC marketplace. And so because they're working with MTV, they had a lot more swing in the music industry to be able to get music that even harmonics couldn't get at that point. And so to give you an idea of where they thought this all was going to go, Alex had an idea about the evolution of music. Mm -hmm. He thought that this was the next stage in musical evolution. So he quote, the instruments reprogram you. The urge you're going to feel when the killers release a new album is the urge to feel those songs as a player. In five years, this is how people are going to consume the music that they love. End quote. Yeah. Um. <laughs> now, we'll, just, yeah we'll just put a pin in that and come back to it. Yeah, let's but, see about this. <laughs> we'll just come back to that one. They grow $600 million, and I'm not certain of the source on this, but I read that it cost them about $200 million to make, so that's like a $400 million profit. So uh, I want to I wanna tell a personal story here. So this story here is actually what was the impetus for me making this episode, and uh, a little bit of my personal life. So right when I started grad school, I was going through like one of the most stressful, like, years of my life Mm -hmm. and after i finished my first year of grad school which to any of you who've ever done grad school trust me it's it's a gauntlet right at the end of my first year of grad school i was about ready to move into a new apartment with my ex-girlfriend and she got cold feet and broke up with me and uh it was like stress upon stress and so a friend of mine named josh would saw that I was going through this really tough time and he was having some difficulties 
on his end at that time too. And so what he would do is because I didn't live that far from him, he would invite me over to his place on the weekends and I would drive from where my grad school was to where he lived. And we would just, the two of us, get absolutely completely hammered drunk and play rock band and we would invite all of our friends over and we would drunk scream sing every song we ever wanted to play and we would download you we'd be like fuck i want to play that song by the killers what's it cost two dollars fucking slap it down and (laughs) take a couple of shots and i gotta tell you man i don't know that i would have gotten through all the stuff i did if that guy had not gone out of his way to bring me over and let me play that game with him. And, and so it just, it really stuck with me. And I thought about that and that that's what made me decide, you know what? I should do an episode about that. That's really nice. That's yeah. So Josh, if you're listening, man, thanks again, dude, you got me through a bad part in my life through drinking and, uh, (laughs) you know, letting me scream, sing Bohemian Rhapsody at the top of my lungs until your neighbors got pissed. Bohemian Rhapsody is um, an, an integral part of building a friendship that lasts it for is. a long time. Yes. So this right here is thought to be, this this time period, this little snapshot is thought to be like the peak of music rhythm games right here in this exact moment. So it's all downhill from here, but some cultural things of note. You mentioned already that South Park aired a Guitar Hero episode in 2007. And the gist is is that the boys get addicted to Guitar Hero, and it's basically a spoof on them being in a band and getting addicted to drugs. And I'm not totally sure how much the episode holds up today, but I still remember that like part of the episode is that like I don't I think they're playing in some like local Guitar Hero competition and this like talent scout comes up to them because he thinks that they're going to be the first, you know, uh, guitar hero group to break 1 million points. And he's trying to like schmooze them and he keeps going, wow, look at that video crowd. I've never seen a video crowd like that before. (laughs) Look at them all cheering for you. And they're all like, oh yes. Oh. (laughs) Anyway, you know that once, once South Park does an episode about you, you've made it, right? Yeah. And you've also Also, probably jumped your shark. You've probably also jumped your shark, yes. (laughs) So, VH1 also made a fake documentary about Rock Band in 2007. So, uh, Noobish1 in the Discord actually found this and contributed it to this episode. It was called Rock Band Cometh, the Rock Band Band Story. (laughs) And it is, it's actually pretty funny. The gist is, is that it's like, they're all talking like they brought in all these big name artists, right? So I remember like uh, like Andrew WK was on there, and I think uh, the lead singer of like Evan- Evanescence was on there, and like all these other people who pretended to be like people who had been in the music industry. Like some of them were like from the Onion News Network back when they used to do that, <laughs> and basically they pretended that there had been this rock band band that existed in like the sixties that influenced all this musical culture. And they shot all these like fake things of like, you know, them playing the plastic instruments, just standing outside screaming, basically. It's like spinal tab, uh, like one of these fake documentaries about a band that never existed, but that inspired all of them. All these artists pretend like it actually did. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, you know, they're, they're very, you know, the, 
the lead singer of Evanescence is on there talking about this fake woman who didn't exist. And she's like, she has done more for women playing the plastic bass than anyone in the entire universe. <laughs> so we were like watching this in the discord last night and cracking up. Cause it like, it's, it's obviously really stupid, but so <clears throat> I got caught up in all this too, right? Like at the time, you know, I had guitar hero shirts I had swag. I bought my girlfriend at the time this really super cringy shirt that said like, uh, I beat my boyfriend at Guitar Hero or something. And it was like insane. It was everywhere. And like when I was doing research, there was just swag everywhere. Toys and posters and stuff you could get. You could buy this little keychain that had the Guitar Hero buttons on it and you could press the buttons and play Guitar Hero while you were like sitting on the train and all this third-party knockoffs and crazy shit and it was it was nuts one thing i remember is for people that couldn't afford guitar hero or any of the consoles that they could use play a game called threads on fire on their pc Ooh. which would um utilize your keyboard as a guitar you would hold your keyboard like a guitar in your hands and use five buttons what? on it yeah and you would use one <laughs> button further down to simulate the the strumming of the guitar and it was community made so they, I had no idea. Yeah, that's a pretty cool game. It's called Threats on Fire. It was free. And a good friend of mine played it all the time, and he wouldn't stop talking about it. And I was highly annoyed by it, because I was highly annoyed by Guitar Hero as well. But he loved it. And I appreciated the concept of something, some software being community-created. That's really cool. It was a cool game. And, and community-created also means that it involved a lot of music piracy. Because they, oh, of course. they included all of these pirated music and they kind of self-created the the input patterns out of the music that they found, which was pretty cool. Don't pirate your music. It's illegal. Yes, don't pirate your music. But if you know where you pirate your music from, um, please send me those sites so I can avoid them. Yeah. Um, I don't ever want to go there. But if you could tell me specifically <laughs> where you pirate all of your music and video games... You could just tell me the names and web addresses of those places just specifically so I don't ever go to and them. we can warn other people about it as well. That's important. Yes, we can tell everybody on the podcast where not to go. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't sue me. I don't have any money. Please don't sue me. <laughs> they don't care. They just like to They don't give a shit. They don't care at all. You know, total side note, Weird Al put out a song one time years ago, and it was called Don't Download This Song. And the only way that you could get it was by downloading it off of his page. <laughs> and it was like, don't download this song, the record the record stores where you belong, go out and buy the CD like you know that you should. And it was talking about like, they don't care who they sue, you know, a four-year-old girl or a grandma, because remember, golden-plated swimming pools don't grow on trees. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so about that piracy that's going to show up here here in a minute <clears throat> so not to be outdone activision is like uh-oh we've entered an arms race so we need our own version of rock band with similar instruments and so they decide that they were going to make guitar hero world tour and this came out in 2008 and you could also think of this as like guitar hero 4 mm -hmm. okay and so they added drums and a microphone but they also added their drums had cymbals like little rubber plastic cymbals i remember and i was like "Ooh, these are better than the rock band ones did they force neversoft to do it again oh yeah neversoft neversoft is here the whole time oh, this guys. whole adventure is neversoft they thought they were out after they did it <clears> once and then 
the boss's gems come back. Hey, never saw Freya, you just made this game. Could you do it again? And they're like, fuck, we want to make skateboard games. <laughs> hey, um, so you guys just made us a billion dollars. <laughs> so um, you're going to do that as many times as we ask you to, okay? Because we fucking own you. Um, so yeah, if you could get started on uh, some, some drums that have cymbals, uh, we would also like another billion dollars. <laughs> okay so anyway so the guitar was bigger it was closer to the size of an actual guitar i remember that one big selling feature was like you could make your own songs and you could upload your own music and it was kind of a cool system and so i remember i specifically remember going on to like this community marketplace and playing on the guitar that famous castlevania song bloody tears mm. and thinking that was like the fucking coolest thing i had ever it seen is, but it also sounds dangerous to implement it was it gets you in trouble so how i ended up with a copy of guitar hero world tour is an interesting story so i was about i was like a year or two into my undergrad um, time. And I used to go eat at this little place on campus that was owned by the university. And they used to have all these little events just to try and get people to show up. Right. And also like, you know, Oh, look, we did this thing and these people showed up and that's why our continued existence should be here. Right. And so one of them was this raffle where they gave away a brand new copy of guitar hero world tour. And like, I think like six people entered and I sat there for hours waiting for the raffle to be done. And the person who won happened to be the person, this woman who was in charge of the dorm that I was living in. And as she was walking out with this box, I walked up to her and I was like, I know that you don't actually want this game because I know you. I will give you $50 right now if you give me this game. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and so it's like a little bit of a longer story than that where we had to like meet up later, but I gave her 50 bucks and I had this huge kit of all the stuff. And so then it ended up being something that my roommate and I would play in our dorm the rest of that semester. Yeah. So you, you, so. you sounded far too confident while saying this. I think it sounded more like this. Hey, <laughs> I know we don't talk much, but I could, I could really use this video game. I can, I can give you $50 right now. <laughs> and that's when she handed it to you without saying anything she, just, she was like just leave please just leave just don't look at me anymore <laughs> she was like this guy made me so uncomfortable and he propositioned me with money <laughs> I, I didn't even know what he was saying i just gave him what i had in my hands <laughs> i threw i threw the box at him to get to get his disgusting visage out of my sight <laughs> I used the game as a weapon. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate this transaction. <laughs> okay. So, as all good things that get insanely popular, video game companies will never miss an opportunity to squeeze the life out of a franchise until it is dead as quickly as they possibly can. And so, the best way that I can put this is by, I read this Kotaku article by this guy, Mike Fahey, and he said, end quote, as genre oversaturation goes, it was pretty impressive. It's almost as if EA and Activision had teamed up to make people completely sick of band games. <laughs> Rock Band 2 hits in 2008. Mostly just an improved version of Rock Band 1. This all it just happens well. in three years. This is pretty um, amazing. 
Oh yeah. Rock Band 2, 2008. Bam, gotta crank them out, baby. And the guys from Harmonix are on top of the fucking world. Time Magazine listed the duo in their top 100 most influential people after Rock Band came out in 2007. Alex was 38 at the time, and Aaron was 36. Apparently, Viacom at at some point paid them uh, another $150 million in 2007 for their financial performance. So, did I actually list how much they got bought for? I don't know that I ever did. Mm-hmm. You never told me how, how much Harmonix got bought for. Just um, for the other one, Gret something something. I forgot the name already. Um, it was a lot of money. I'm, we'll talk about it later. Cause I know it comes up later how much they bought them for, but they, I think it was, I think it was 450 mil. When we get to it, I'll, it there's, it's relevant later. So, but I, it was like $450 million and then they paid them like another 150. I'll, we'll forget the actual stat here in a minute, but okay. So they make rock band two. It's basically a rehash of the same one. A couple of improvements. Now let me tell you about my favorite thing that I found in all of this research. Uh, you know, when we were in the Discord the other night and I was cracking up that I had found something so completely ridiculous yeah. that I didn't believe that it existed. Okay, VH1 decides to make a show about Rock Band 2 in 2008, and it's called Rock Band 2 The Stars. Here's the pitch. It's a reality TV show where 12 contestants got together and played Rock Band 2. And the judges were Alice Cooper and Sebastian Bach, not the same guy. It's actually the guy who's the lead singer of the hair metal band Skid Row. The two of them get together and they get 12 people who are super into rock band. And they're going to be on this show. And each week, the person who has the worst performance gets eliminated. And in the final episode, two teams would fight each other and face off. And they were judged by Ronnie James Dio for the final prize. The best band got to play in between sets at the L.A. stop of the Rock Band Live Tour featuring Panic at the Disco, Dashboard Confessional, The Plain White Tees, and The Cab. Oh, but wait, Docs, did I not mention the Rock Band Live Tour? Yes, it hit 29 cities. Apparently, bands would play on the tour. You'd buy tickets like you were going to go to a show, but the whole thing was just a huge fucking promotion for Rock Band 2. You'd pay money to look at people playing Rock Band. You'd pay money to go see, like, Panic at the Disco, but in between sets, you would show up at the venue early, play in a competition, and if you won, you'd get to go up on the stage and play Rock Band 2 before it released. This is so obnoxious. It's so fucking obnoxious. It's the- First off, pause real fast. That reality show, there are episodes of it online. You can still go to VH1 and watch it. And dude, it is not only peak, like we've jumped the shark several times over, but it is like that. It's that perfect culmination of oversaturation of Guitar Hero and Rock Band everywhere and really bad reality TV. Yeah, also because it, was, it has Alice Cooper and that guy does anything. He has a radio show, Germany, close to where I live. Is it? The one that plays in the U.S. No, What's no, it no. He he came to Germany for a while and had a radio show and just, just he did German radio. He speaks pretty good German. Really? Yeah, Alice Cooper, and he shows up in all kinds of media all the time. And, uh, if if you would have asked me before explaining this, which artist would you have expected to be in this series? I would have said it. <laughs> 
well, he made his appearance. <laughs> Everyone's here now. <clears throat> so here's a quote about that, that super cringy tour. Quote, uh, this is Dashboard Confessionals' Chris Car- Caraba? Chris Caraba? I don't know. I'm sorry if I fucked your name up, man. Not like you're ever going to listen to this anyway. <laughs> quote, it's the tour of your life, man. It's the greatest tour ever. We go and entertain you. But you also get a shot to get up on stage. The day you come to the show, you go to this area where they have gameplay and you compete head to head against other players. And if you win, you get chosen to be on stage playing in between bands, playing rock band. Yeah. So I had fallen out of this craze at this time. Like when I when I mentioned that, like I I played all this rock band with my buddy, this was years after the fad had basically died. Right. So, also, another note, there was another South Park episode that involved Rock Band or Guitar Hero, and this one was about Rock Band. And in this one, Cartman, there's a part of the episode where Cartman is singing Lady Gaga's Poker Face, (laughs) and of course, because fucking capitalism, baby, they released it as a downloadable song that you could play on Rock Band five months later. That that was a good episode. It was a good episode. So we're going to talk a little bit on a side note about some legal issues. So in 2006, Konami, this is going a little bit back, right? Konami had tried to get a patent for toy controller with a game and then tried to claim that they had the original rights for guitar controllers and so from what i can tell they this never ended up happening yeah this they never ended up getting that patent but konami wanted to put their finger in you know a piece of the pie and they created a game called rock revolution in 2008 that got really bad reviews and so this legal dispute begins to brew remember Konami and Harmonix had worked together on Karaoke yep. Revolution and that this partnership had been continuing this whole time. Because remember, they stopped making Karaoke Revolution games in 2009. So they're still talking and working together. And also Harmonix got the inspiration for the guitar controller from Konami, right? Right. Mm. So Konami decides to sue Harmonix and Viacom, claiming that Rock Band infringed on their patent that they had for music simulation games which is like super fucking big right yeah they had a lofty goal and their lofty goal was not only would harmonics pay them oodles of money but that they would stop selling rock band mtv of course mobilized their fleet of lawyers and was not thrilled and called the accusation baseless and so in 2009 Harmonics decided to then sue Konami, claiming that Konami's game Rock Revolution infringed on their patent for Rock Band, and in the end, there wasn't even a public resolution. Both companies decided to settle out of court. No one knows what happened but them. Legal things. Yeah. Also, Gibson Guitars tried to sue them too, claiming that in their early games, they used the patterns and like designs of their guitars without their permission. And I guess they had some, I couldn't find what happened there. Cause like they never tell you these things, yeah. but they ended up working together later. So my guess is that they set, made some kind of settlement out of court and then decided, fuck it. We'll just bring them in and work with them. So <clears throat> lots of legal shit going down. Yeah. I, I, I don't have much experience with that, but maybe they, after they had that legal dispute and they were working with Activision in the A now that also had like, lawyer fleets to help the developers make things in ways that do not make them um, vulnerable to to legal actions that do like recommendations like maybe we can work together with a 
guitar producer, so if some other guitar producer tries to sue us for design reasons, we can just say, no, we work with them. That's bullshit. Yeah, I think that, <clears throat> I think that, um, how do I want to put this? It also draws a light on how litigious uh, the music industry is and how many lawsuits fly around not only uh, the music industry, but also the video game industry. And now you've got this intersection between the two and they're very melded together. So it is completely unsurprising to me that there would be legal actions that show up in this story. Yeah. Okay. So let's begin the rapid fire flurry of all the fucking games that they had. And that in the spiral downward as they circle the drain. So rock band and guitar hero are pumping out games. Guitar hero Aerosmith comes out in 2008 just Aerosmith songs. Apparently the band claims that they made more money selling Guitar Hero Aerosmith than any of their albums ever did. Wow. Guitar Hero Metallica comes out in 2009. Guitar Hero Van Halen comes out in 2009. The Beatles Rock Band comes out in 2009. Lego Rock Band comes out in 2009. Wow. <laughs> Lego Rock Band? What is Lego Rock Band? An abomination is what Lego Rock Band is, but it was all kid friendly. We are Lego. We own every franchise, and <laughs> that's why we. That's why, like, I remember when they made this movie, this Lego movie, where any everything was in it, like every franchise that ever existed. I was like, this was their master plan all along. They, they, it they was. keep. Um, amassing <laughs> these franchises these rights to include them in their models and now we can make a movie once that includes all of them and then they're happy I will also say that Lego Movie was actually pretty good. I like that movie yeah. DJ Hero hits in 2009 DJ Hero was a weird one and I'm going to take a second to, to just stop the stop the moving train right here at the you DJ have Hero two turn pads uh, and you, you move them around <laughs> yes that is exactly what it is it was a controller that looked like a turntable and you would mix songs. Wow. It did not sell well. No, it did Activision not. Activision CEO. No, it they did not. Have, they should have asked me before trying that. I would have been like, <laughs> no, don't do it. <laughs> hi, hi. Um, is this Activision? Hi. Um, I want to I wanna introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to tell you his real name. He just goes by Docs, which means badger. And uh, he's got some insights into your game. I'm going to put him on the line. Here you go. Hey, hey Docs, what do you have to say about this game? Uh, could you not sell that? There you go. Um, I would like to be paid $75,000 for a consulting fee and um, tell you to fuck right off. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Activision CEO Barry Kotick told Forbes magazine the DJ hero took valuable resources away from the main series and was not a good enough game on its own. <laughs> Quote, and in hindsight, if you step back, we should have said, well, how many people really want to unleash their, unleash their inner DJ? And how many people want to do it in the context of a game where you earn points versus just taking a DJ deck or tools on their Macintosh and just actually being a DJ. And it turns out it's a very small market. Yeah. Then they made DJ hero in 2010, just to milk it a little more. And guess what? It didn't sell well either. So they, what, they did it again. They did it. What? again. They doubled what down. Did, why are they? Oh man. I don't understand this. Are they, is this like a, a, a a bankrupt scheme where they have to lose money for some tax reasons. So they, they make bad decisions so they can ask the insurance for more money or something. 
Boy, it's really funny that you say that because that exact situation may appear later. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just put a pin. Yeah, here it is. There's our map. Let's put another pin. We're going to come back to that one, too. So whenever things go bankrupt for very obvious reasons, I'm always like, is this on purpose? Are they, is there yeah. some text loophole? So, Guitar Hero 5 hits in 2009. I guess they added in a bunch more famous musicians and singers, and there was some kind of controversy because they put Kurt Cobain in the game because they did Nirvana songs, but then they were pissed because you could have Kurt Cobain sing any song. And there was, I think there was some legal dispute, but I didn't dig too far there. Um... Band Hero comes out in 2009. What's Band Hero? It was Guitar Hero you played on your Nintendo DS. You hooked an awkward controller into your DS. You held the keys at the top of your DS and you strummed the uh, the touchpad. Okay. Green Day Rock Band hits in 2010. And if you couldn't tell, the market was just completely flooded at this point and consumer demand for music video games was just dropping off there were more games than anyone could even buy play and enjoy yeah there was saturation so the harmonics guys try and pull something out so they try to take a different angle with it rock band three hits in 2010 and it added a keyboard and not only a keyboard, but they sold a guitar that no joke docs had 102 individual buttons. How many? 122? One? No, 102. 102 buttons. Wow. They had the assistant chair of guitar studies at Berkeley come in to consult with them, and he helped them along the so way. So they made something and that is about as complicated as an actual guitar. Yes. And... They collaborated with Fender in the creation of the instruments. And the idea was, is that if you used this guitar in the specific mode, it might actually help you to learn how to play a guitar. Then why didn't they make an adapter? Like later on, there's this game called Rocksmith. Yes, I was going to bring it up. But yes. It's Rocksmith because they just like, yeah, we could just attach a guitar to the computer and use that as a con like controller. And it works perfectly. I think that well, was the Rocksmiths idea. are the perfect yeah, idiots. They are all idiots. But Rock Band, they tried to they tried to go this angle. And so I think the thought was is that it wouldn't specifically replace guitar instruction, but what it would give you was muscle memory on how to do things yeah. like play chords, yeah. picking frets. And they thought, you know, okay, so the idea is you sit down, you play this game for like six months, and you might pick up some musical abilities that are, you know, you could transfer over. And they were excited. As someone who learns guitar, that's so. actually important is to have the muscle memory for the chords because yes. you ha have to be able to, because it's actually simple patterns. Like if you, if you can do an, um, two to one chord, like an A major, and you just have to do, be able to do that blindly. And if you just have a, a guitar full of these buttons that make you do these finger patterns, that works well, but it probably it misses a few things that are important, like proper hand, holding technique or something it misses right. the point of learning an instrument with the actual instrument right and you're we're getting closer to that in this story yeah. right so the game launches with a bunch of songs but what was really cool is that and i will give them credit for this is that you could get any of your old songs from the previous games so they created this thing called the rock band network and if you had ever purchased a song as dlc you could play it on the new what? ones they made that possible yep. ea gave something away for free 
Yes. Apparently, it got up to something like 4,000 songs that you could download on the That's network. That's really nice. That's cool. It didn't really sell well, though. And they were actually outsold that holiday season by a game called Dance Central, which was something that Harmonix had developed. Ooh. Harmonix made Dance Central. And so short version on that, it was a dance game that works with worked with the Xbox 360 Kinect. You know, the Kinect was like the mm-hmm. first like motion sensor that you could get. Uh, my fiance had all of them and said that they were really great. Nice. And that was the best selling Kinect game that year. And they got outsold by their own game, which is not a bad problem to have. So... They end up supporting the game with new content the whole way up to 2013, but the sales just weren't there. And on the Guitar Hero end, they put out a game called Warrior Guitar Hero 6 Warriors of Rock yeah. in 2010. And I'm not even going to talk about it because it was just fucking bad and it didn't sell well. And it was criticized across the board. Yeah. So I called this next section uh, a dizzying fall. Um <laughs> triumphant pride often uh, precipitates a dizzying fall. So the first of the two powerhouses to fall was Guitar Hero. After the absolute disaster that was Guitar Hero 6, Activision decided to shut down Guitar Hero. In 2010, Activision shut down Red Octane and disbanded what had been left of it. They made six games in five years. Oh, they made more than that. Uh, You got to think of all all the in-between things. Yep. Harmonix was not faring well either. Viacom got into legal fights with the original guys from Harmonix, trying to fight how much they actually owed them in money. And so it was like this multi-part thing. It was like shareholders of Harmonix sued Viacom, claiming that they owed them hundreds of millions of dollars that weren't paid to them as part of their original contract for the acquisition. And like, I guess it's kind of unclear But I guess Viacom tried to tell them, well, you didn't perform as well as we expected and we want some of this money back. And it's some big dispute over like who owed what money. And so like someone working on behalf of Harmonix also sued Viacom for $13 million claiming that they like were part of all these unfair business practices. And I'm not sure how this all turned out, but there was this big legal battle as all these games are starting to falter, as the market's getting oversaturated, saturated saturated they start fighting and bickering amongst each other over money yeah so harmonics cuts their staff somewhere between 12 and 15 percent and then in 2011 harmonics was sold by viacom to an investment firm called columbus nova the selling price 49 dollars and 99 cents plus music rights fees remaining game inventory remaining instrument inventory etc So think about this. In five years, at least from the totals I have here, Harmonix went from being purchased for $175 million plus bonuses to being sold for less than the price of a new video game. At least on paper. Was that a real company or was it on the Cayman Islands? (laughs) I don't even know, dude. (laughs) So Viacom seems to think that buying Harmonix was bad for them. Because they claim that even though Harmonix made money, they as the owners of Harmonix were never able to make money themselves. Who knows if this is true? But they claim that they were never able to structure things in a way that they could cash in on it, mostly due to the cost of creating and shipping all of the controllers. So to come back to our earlier pin, let's look at the map of shitty business practices. It seems like the reason that they sold them for so low and at that specific time is because Viacom wanted to report that they had suffered big losses that year 
and pushed to sell it quickly so that they could reap a larger tax benefit using a tax loophole. So there were some tax shenanigans there. They just wanted to ditch the company. Um, Sources at one point thought that the company that the, um, that basically the company that bought them, whatever the fuck it was called, Columbus Nova probably took on a hundred million dollars of liabilities. Yeah. Pay your accountants. Well, they make you more money than you pay them. Regardless, they wanted a big tax benefit. And randomly, I remember around this time that a lot of places were trying to offload a lot of their arcade machines that weren't popular anymore. And I remember that near the end of my time in undergrad, um, my university got this like game room where you could go and like play these arcade machines and like, you know, um, like ping pong and like air hockey and stuff for free. And they had this guitar hero machine and we were all like, fuck yeah, the guitar hero machines here. Oh my God, we're going to go play guitar hero with all our friends. But the machine was like broken and the timing was super off. So like we all just ended up hating it and it just sat in the corner for years and like no one touched it until they sold it. The interlude. Five years go by. Band games, pretty much dead in the water at the time. Note that a game called Rock Band Blitz came out in 2012. Rock Band Blitz? Rock Band Blitz. German soldiers in 1944 in Stalingrad trying trying to get a band together before the Russians come and kill you all. (laughs) Rock Band Blitzkrieg. Yes, yes. (laughs) We'll win this war with the power of Rock! You, you play the trumpet, Hans. I play the machine gun. Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, so what the hell is Rock Band Blitz? It was this weird rock band game that you played a con- you used a controller. You didn't use the peripheral. And it only came out on Xbox Live. It had, I don't think it had a physical release. So, the return... Did this triumphant return happen? Well, Guitar Hero Live hit in October 2015, and the announcement and release of Guitar Hero Live briefly reignites the franchise after having been quiet for five years. And it had this really, I remember it had this really weird promotional campaign, and I think they got the the guys from My Chemical Romance and the guys from Fall Out Boy to get together and play their own songs on Guitar Hero. And it was really awkward. I remember it being really awkward. They added in like mobile versions. You could hook up to your iPhone or your iPad so you could see the stuff, but you could use your guitar with it um, instead of like awkwardly tapping your fingers. Uh, they redesigned the controller to be two different vertical lines of stuff coming down. So instead of one line of buttons, it was two, three button things. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because they wanted it to be like kind of closer to a real guitar. Yeah. I don't Makes know. Sense. Um, what was really weird though, is that everyone in the background of the game wasn't procedurally rendered. They were real life people that they filmed singing the songs, including bands. And so they had like this fake band that would go and like sing songs on stage. And if you did badly, the real life actors they played to be uh, like in the crowd would be like, boo, this fucking sucks, bro. And they'd all look mad at you. Um, My take on that is that's really fucking cringe and I don't want that, (laughs) but I never played it. That's in. Maybe one one would dare to call that a brave approach to something that's been sucked on too much. So maybe 
one should try something new. I mean, I get it. Maybe they also should have called the Badger Consultant. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, um, uh, can you put me through to Activision? (laughs) Um, Could you just, I'd like to talk to Activision, please. (laughs) (laughs) Just anyone at the company of Activision. Um, What the fuck are you doing? What's happening with you guys? What's what's wrong? Are you okay? Is this a cry for help? Yeah. Have you... Is it the cocaine? (laughs) I know it doesn't grow on trees, and you've got to keep pumping these games out. Pump out games so you can pump cocaine up your nose. We're the the fucking best company in the world. We're going to make a game. Everybody in it is a person. We're going to react to you, and it's going to be like you're actually in it. It's fucking awesome. So you're going to... Oh, my God. You're going to hate this. Okay, so they add in this service called guitar hero tv where if you paid a monthly fee you could connect to a streaming service and play from a library of songs but you never owned them they were never yours you could just access the songs basically it had all these different tv channels like an old mtv kind of thing and whatever was on at the time you could play Okay, and the songs would rotate and you could compare scores in real time to the people who were playing them. Okay, now, note this is different than Rock Band's model where you have thousands of songs that, you know, it was a little more expensive, but you could play them forever. Yeah. And you could never actually purchase new songs with this Guitar Hero TV bullshit. And if you wanted to play a song from a catalog, you had to use one of your plays which you had to earn, or of course you could buy. You could buy plays to allow you to play songs you wanted. Or, of course, you could buy a party pass, which lets you have unlimited songs to play for 24 hours. Yay! Was, was this the first try on, on what they would do later on a lot? Like, the, the yes. player must earn the special part of this game, like in Star Wars Battlefront 2. Um, it increases the experience of the player. It gives them a sense of achievement, but they can also just pay us more money to give it to them. (laughs) We know that you wanted to play as Darth Vader, but we think it's better if you wait 10,000 hours to play Darth Vader because the second that you get to play as Darth Vader, you'll have an orgasmic experience (laughs) as you swing your lightsaber around. And that's really what we're trying to do. Or pay us (laughs) $12.99. Yeah, get your credit cards, kids. Don't forget the number on the back. Okay, yeah, but that's that just sh- sounds again like milking the thing for money. It was, yeah. and the service shut down in two thousand eight. The game went from having close to five hundred songs down to the forty or so that were on the disc. The game did not sell well comparatively, and part of that was because also released in October twenty fifteen was Rock Band four in the exact same month. Okay, but this is. Uh, we're doing a lot of corporate back and forth at the moment, but this is still with Alex and Aaron, right? They are still in here. This is still with Alex and Aaron. Although, you know, I will say that um, as a side note, Alex is still CEO at um, Harmonix, even today, not to skip ahead a little further. Aaron, Aaron, at some point in this, from what I understand, he still works at the company, but I don't know that he makes games anymore, but don't quote me on that. I couldn't find anything on it other than that maybe he had like, Taken a backseat at times. Yeah, I'd like to quote the entire of it. He says, Aaron does not work, make games anymore. 
Yes, quote me. Yes, of course. <laughs> no, yeah, okay. Don't sue me. I have no money, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, they, so, they were still, I wonder if they were still pursuing the dream or if they were just happy about having a, a proper job that made them good money, really good money. Yeah, who knows? But I guess Rockman 4 tried to sort of go back to the like a return to basics, yeah. you know, like let's just cut all of this vestigial shit and just go back to what made the game fun. Yeah. And it sold okay, but it didn't give them a return they wanted. I guess the company took some hits. Um, in 2016, they tried to crowdfund a PC port of the game, and it only made about half of what they wanted. Mm. So from what I can tell, it never got an official PC port. Um and they updated the game for a couple of years. It, did, it just didn't do what they wanted. Yeah. So, okay. Then came Rock Band VR in 2017. It came out for the Oculus. Only the guitar was usable. You essentially take your guitar, uh, your Rock Band guitar, you plug it into your computer, into the slot. You attach this piece for the Oculus on the top of the guitar so that it can motion track where your guitar is. And uh, it can then tell where the guitar is and what buttons you're hitting. And it shipped with 60 playable songs and you could do like all kinds of interactive stuff. Like if you were standing there, you, it was like you were on a stage. If you looked down at people in the crowd, they would look back at you and be like, oh, is he looking at me? And they would make these faces like, what? He's looking at me? Um, so someone made, so I read a really good review of this game. It seemed neat. I'll, I'll totally give them credit. It seemed neat. It got really good reviews. It was really fun to play, but like, alas, like the world has kind of moved on, right? Yeah. And so the articles I read about it were like, this game is a ton of fun, but you'll never hear about it. So this brings me to our final tally. In from, 20, or from 2005 to 2015, Guitar Hero released 25 games, if you count all of the weird offshoots, including Band Hero. Rock Band released 13 games from 2007 to 2017. So, um, that's a lot of shit to try and digest, right? Like, just to hit. How could you ever play those games and enjoy them and understand them in such a, in, in all that time, right? Yeah. And and okay. why so, and why would you why would you iterate over the same idea and the exact same idea so many times? Yeah, like if you really wanted to play all of those games. I mean, that, of course, that includes the weird DS thing and, like, the phone version and, like, the DJ Hero. But, like, could you really play 38 iterations of the same game in a 10-year span without going crazy? I don't think you could. Yeah, yeah no. Also because it, the gameplay is not as... I don't... This is weird, a weird idea, but, like, FIFA does the same thing, right? There's a new game right. every year. But it's a different thing because it's Although, you play football and you. I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't like FIFA either, and maybe that's why. Didn't I think, FIFA just get a? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I think today is a good day to say that FIFA is about this about equally. Um, they don't put much effort into their games as well. <laughs> Did you see the news article that came out recently that it? came out that they literally copied and pasted one game into another and sold it. Yeah, and that's price. where they are going to copy the review as well. Except, yeah, yeah, I like that. I thought <laughs> that was really fun. the score will get so. diminished a lot. 
Okay, so where is everybody today after all of this insanity? <clears throat> Alex is still the CEO of Harmonix. He is still highly involved in the company. Yep. Harmonix is still doing stuff. And I should note, I went over a lot of stuff that they did in this episode, but there's games I didn't even mention. Um, the most recent one that you might be familiar with is Twitch Sings. They developed Twitch Sings in 2019. Cool. Um they also unveiled some new game that they called Fuser in 2020, where you're like this DJ or something. And I'll admit it actually looked pretty cool from what I saw in the and trailer. And people like Twitch things. Um, yeah. Yeah. No comment. Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Aaron is currently a professor at MIT. From what I can tell, he still works at Harmonix as the chief technical officer, and I think he's the vice president. Cool. Greg Lopiccolo, from what I can see, is still at Harmonix as VP of product development. Mm -hmm. Jack McCauley, the guy who designed um, the guitar, Tire. went on to be the chief engineer at Oculus and was the head developer in the de design of both models of the headsets that they put out. Nice. So he's still the hardware dude. Yeah. He's still the hardware dude. I'm pretty sure that MTV Games doesn't exist anymore because I could find nothing on the internet about them. Um, Neversoft ended up merging into a company called Infinity Ward in 2014. You might know Infinity Ward because they are most well known for making the Call of Duty games. Yeah. Also an easy money source. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So wrapping up, here's my hot take. Ultimately, I think a few things killed Guitar Hero and Rock Band. One, they totally flooded the market. Yeah. And because of that, I mean, that's the big one. They just, they pumped out so many games so fast that no one could keep up with them. Uh, also, an unintended consequence of this is that some of the money that they made in the beginning was on the peripherals that they sold. But what happens if you already have guitars and you already have the setup? You don't need to buy those anymore, yeah. right? Um, also... You know, they, they tried really hard to expand beyond that original design, but, like, I really think that they just tapped it for everything that they could do. And there was just burnout, man. You know, once the novelty wore off, it was just, it was very clear that they were pumping out games as total cash grabs. So, I'll say, and then I'll, well, we can wax poetically about that, because I have other things to say, too, but, like, I wrote this episode and writing this episode actually made me kind of sad in some spots because, okay, so you have these two guys, they meet at MIT and their dream is let's make music games. Let's put music in the hands mm -hmm. of people. Suddenly the industry fucking explodes. You have all these big publishers who want money. They're throwing their weight around. You have all this branding and marketing and they're, they're putting fucking ads in the video games and the industry went from like holy shit this is cool to like dead in the water in like five years and so i don't think it's fair to say that the original idea got lost but it's really interesting to me how the allure of money and to make as much money as you possibly can as quickly as you can totally changed around what this was and in such a short time too it's i have the exact same thought about it that it feels kind of sad and you wonder because in the beginning you talked about how they had a dream at MIT. I say the word dream a lot in the entire episode, because, but, but, but because it sounds like a dream, like a, maybe yeah. we can make music accessible to people. And I, I can't lose the feeling of thinking, it seems like they lost that maybe. Money siphoned it out of them, but that's just a feeling. Yeah. 
So let's, uh, let's, as we get closer to the end here, let's end on some good notes. So what I would say that they did is Guitar Hero and Rock Band completely revolutionized rhythm and music games and got them into people's hands. Guitar Hero is, is a name that you know if it comes to music yes. games. Yes. That's the first one you think yeah. of. It may be, and maybe some people might think of like DDR or something yeah. like that, but that's definitely the one but that I on, think. On, really, one, on one level with DDR. Yeah. And you know, it really made making music, even in its own strange way, accessible to people. And so to add to that, what's really cool is while I was doing research for this, I found all these articles about how these games spawned people playing actual music and going out and learning the, the instruments. And so... These are all anecdotal. There's no data on this, but there were people who tried out the games and said, I want to do this for real. And so you mentioned Rocksmith and Rocksmith actually taught you how to play the guitar. So that was one avenue. And there was some other game that did a very similar thing that came out around that time. And so like it got a lot of people into making music. It made it accessible. Even if, even if playing the controller is nothing like the real guitar, I still think that they may be in their own way, accomplish their goals. So. They exposed millions of people to making music yeah. and even further, like some of them learned an instrument, right? And I think it passed on the concept of what they wanted to do. It passed on the idea of what um, the gamification of learning, which is a huge yes. deal today. I read an interview on Salon and they interviewed like a bunch of music teachers during like right around when this craze was kicking off. And there's this guy, Rob Cavaness, and I really liked what he had to say. So he said, quote, Personally, I've made hundreds or maybe even a couple thousand dollars on it, it being, you know, that, just because kids see the game and they want to do the real thing. I think a lot of kids listen to music and they don't know what it is. The game lets you pick out one particular instrument and it says, hey, this is what you can do with it. And then he talked in the same interview about how kids would come in to learn how to play guitar and they had much better rhythm and finger agility and like they were much better with the chords if they had played Guitar Hero yeah. first. Keeping rhythm is um, a big thing you've got to learn at the beginning. Yeah. Many, many people that when they are older and they never learned to learn um, play musical instrument when they were younger, what they struggle with is rhythm. I had a good friend in college when I learned to be um, my, my first job and, and we had music classes too. And he couldn't, he couldn't keep a rhythm. And I was, I was so surprised by that because I did music all my life and I, can't imagine not being able to keep it with them. And he, this was the right. first time he got confronted with music. So I think that is a wonderful thing to give to children because music is very important to, to have in your life. I also think what was really cool about it too is that even just from my personal standpoint, it exposed me to a lot of artists that I had never heard before. It exposed me to a lot of classics that I had never heard before, you know? And I, I think it, I think, look, Basically, it was a cool idea, and then some big game companies came in and said, yep, we're going to make as much money off of this as we possibly can, and destroyed it. But I don't think that, like, the stuff that it did do lasts, yeah. right? So a random other offshoot that I thought about when I was writing this episode. So remember that the guitar peripherals are actual controllers? So I think one of the most fun and weird things that came out of this is the phenomenon of people playing other games yeah. well using the Guitar Hero and Rock Band peripherals. Yes, absolutely. Which is pretty fun to watch. Yeah. Okay, so let's say that you wanted to play this today. Um, a friend in the Discord, he goes by Enamel. Um, tells me that you can play a game called Clone Hero, 
which lets you use your old instruments to connect to your PC. And I guess that all the songs are user added, like that game you mentioned earlier. Um, I think you can play a bunch of stuff from the original games too, but I have not personally tried it. But I'm sure that there are other PC ports out there that you can still get a hold of. Plus, you can go out and, you know, you could still play on the old consoles too if you really want to. Also, I just asked Professor Google if Fresh on Fire still exists, and it does. Well, there Maybe. you go. Thanks, Professor Google. Yeah. What do you think of all this, man? What's your hot take? I like this a lot, especially since I have some only slight contact with Guitar Hero in my life. But there was contact, and I always had interest in this game because I had interest in music. And as I said, first I despised this game for pretending to be music creation. But nowadays I like it because I know a bunch of people that actually got into music creation because they played a lot of Guitar Hero. Like one friend of mine who has a rock band and he's a guitarist, he started playing the guitar because of Guitar Hero. And I think these 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 were some of the pioneers of this music creation games. Um, yeah. And um, I like that we get into a lot of these people that did things like this for the first time or, the, or yeah. the second time, but they were more successful than the ones that did the first time, stuff like that. Right. So I'll say that like on my own, like I think I've, 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 I've said throughout the episode, like how I feel about this. I definitely feel like it was this dream that turned into something totally crazy. And it was this total flash in the pan culturally where it was everywhere and then it was nowhere. And I kind of like, I felt kind of bad about that in, in that, you know, maybe they accomplished their goal, maybe they didn't, but it was weird just to see all of these outside sources come in and just like a vampire, just, just slurp it up, you know? But I do think that, for that time and for what it was, even if we look back and go, oh my God, that marketing was so cringy or, oh, that game, oh, it doesn't hold up. I think it really did do a lot for introducing music and putting music in the hands of people who wouldn't have it or be able to understand it or experience it. Yes, so. I agree with that. Okay. So normally this is the part of the episode where we would go over our sources But this episode took me literal months to put together. And I mean, part of that is also because I moved in that time. But but I used so many different sources that it's difficult for me to read them all. We would be here a while. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about a couple of them. or um, And then what what I'll do is I'll put the rest of them in um, a Google Doc that you can access and, and reference. And it'll be in the episode description. You can access it at any time. Um, a big one that helped me out is I was actually just talking to docs about this the other day. I really like this video game website called, um, Gama Sutra with a G it's almost like Kama Sutra, but I used Gama Sutra a lot to get a lot of the more precise numbers on like how well games sold or how it was received. And, and they really do a lot with like the business aspect of things. Um, you know, there were, I, I used a lot of stuff from like MTV zone stuff and, um, you know, IGN reviews and, and things like that. But um, what's really weird about this is that a lot of these articles are not like still up. They, they, they've been archived or they've been taken down. So I'll put notes for where all of these were and where I found them. And you can read that in the episode description. Or you can find me. You can shoot me an email at vegantylerttv at gmail.com and I can send you the list if you can. Yeah, it. especially look at those um, videos of those reality TV shows they did. I want to see that. Oh my gosh. They're so cringe. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Rock band to the stars. Oh, it hurts. I would check it's it. so painful. 
All right. Well, um, this has been Codex Rex, the video game history podcast. I'm your host, Tyler. And my name is Dux, your co-host, I guess. <laughs> we, this is an equal division of labor around here. So, yes. uh, so, so he says, the man. Okay, so Dux does do all of the editing, and I don't pick up any of the slack on that. So maybe he does more than I do. I hope you have a good day all. Um, Take care of yourselves and stay safe. Yes, be safe out there. Thanks to everyone who listens and we'll see you soon. Bye.